Welcome back to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2022 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy. You can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me, as he will be every week, is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at The Ride Report. What's up, Vincent? Hey, JJ. How are you? It's been a long time. It's been a long time, brother. It's been almost a year, you know, and... and a lot has happened. Yes. With the Panthers since we last did an episode. I don't know if any of it has been good. <laughs> Not much but, of it um, has been good. Yeah, I mean, but you know, but the blessing is that we're here and that we're able to do it again. And you know, and, and it's the off season, so it's dream season. And so um, you know, these are the times where we can, you know, pontificate about you know how the Panthers can improve their their rosters and the roster and chances of winning and so I'm, I'm i'm excited to talk about you know the 2022 nfl draft um but before we even get to the draft um you know we would have to talk about what's happening in free agency you know within the next four days the free agency period is going to be active and so i think we need to you know talk about what's going to happen with that or what could happen with that but before we get into the draft or free agency i think we probably need to take a minute and just talk about the overall state of the Carolina Panthers. And so um, before we get into all the other stuff, like what do, you, what do you think about where we currently are as an organization? It, I mean, it's not a great place. Um, uh, it feels like it's something of a, uh, it's, it's going to go one way or another. Like the, they they clearly made some aggressive moves last offseason that didn't work. And they kind of have put themselves at a distinct disadvantage. I think it, it, it cannot be stressed enough how, how much of an issue it is that they are going to have to do this rebuild with very few draft picks. Like, you know, they have that first pick and their next pick is probably not going to be for over 100 picks. There's going to be, unless they trade back or trade for some extra picks, they are going to have a 100 pick weight more probably more like 125 pick weight between their first and second picks and and i think that's you you can do you can do a lot of wrong taking that approach i i it, it, it as as frustrating as it might be and i to be clear i have very little faith this is what they'll actually do this is probably not a bad off season for a very cautious approach Right. Because if 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 you if you go aggressive and you get it wrong, you're going to be left with not much to look at. Like you know, if 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 they swing up for a quarterback with a sixth pick, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't or that they you know, you have to draft the players that are there. But if you right. go really aggressive this offseason and miss again, you're going to be left with very little talent and very little assets to fix that. Like they have a lot of they they have a lot of needs and not many ways to address those needs, and they do better to make sure that they address some of them than trying to find some magic fix that solves everything, because that is likely to have a significantly worse outcome if you don't get it right. Like it, you know, we'll talk about some things they might do later, but if if they go really aggressive this off season and miss again, you could end up in a situation where you basically need to rebuild an entire team without much in the way of draft picks or cap space. 
And man, that's that's so unsettling as a fan. You know, I, I think after watching this coaching staff for the last two seasons without very much of a process, you know, that we can follow, right? And I know Matt Rule, you know, got in front of all of us at the end of this past season and said, you know, the, the process is a thousand percent working, right? <laughs> but we can't follow it, right? So maybe it's a mystery, maybe it's something we can't understand. But you know, with with where we are, you know, as a as a fan base and you know, and trying to figure out what the process is, it's just unsettling to think that we are heading into the third year of a new coach's regime, his record over the two years is 10 and 23. Yeah. And we're entering that third year with the sixth overall pick and then not another pick until that's, I guess, you know, that third day, you know? And, yeah. and and I'm no rocket science, man. I'm, not, I'm no rocket scientist. I'm not a rocket scientist. I don't know how everything works in the universe or in football. But with a team as bad as we've been, it's just really hard to get excited about a team that was just 5-12 and 12 going into the draft with only one pick in the first 100. Because I don't think there's very much any team can do to improve their chances of winning if, if they can't improve it through the draft. Um, and I know that there are other ways to get it done, but I don't know if not. You know, do you watch? Are you like a Marvel Universe fan? Like, have you watched? Not, the, not really, no. That doesn't surprise me. I'm glad you don't spend time on frivolous things like that. But you know, there's a scene, and I believe either it's the End Game or um, you know one of the the more recent Marvel movies where um, where Iron Man asked. Doctor Strange, like, what's our probability of winning this thing, right? Yeah. And he went through all the different calculations in his head, you know, um, in all the different dimensions of things. And then, you know, he basically said there's only one outcome where we could be successful, right? But he didn't reveal what it was or anything. And I know it's probably more than one outcome. But, no, but I think that, 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 that is a very good analogy because it, it, it's one of those things where I think the Panthers, like, the, the Matt Rule regime has definitely not gone to plan so far. And there is right. definitely, a, there are definitely ways they can turn this thing around. But yeah. They have definitely narrowed down their number of possible ways of doing it. Like, like they, yes. you know, the, the, the kind of like build gradually through the draft. Well, if you've got one pick in the top hundred, that's, that's not going to happen. And right. I mean, we can talk about some of the, the th- issues we think we're gonna, they're going to have in a, in a moment, but like, they are, they are, they, that is that thing. It's like they have definitely narrowed down their, their, like, their set of ways of doing it is now getting very small indeed. And their, their margin for error has got very, very small. And so that's, to me, that's the dangerous part, right? Yeah. So now, like, the margin of error has, be, has gotten so small for this coach yeah. and, you know, this GM, yeah. potentially, right? And this owner, Right. <laughs> to where his, his his margin is a little bit bigger because he owns the team, but but you know, but the public image of you know his, the perception of who you know of his ability to 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 own and a winning organization, I think I think there's some pressure. I, I even think uh, Scott Fitter mentioned that when they interviewed him at the combine was that it's pressure on everyone. They want to win. 
I, I would point so, out that Dan Snyder is still an NFL owner. Like, like, I, you're right, you're like right. as, I mean, as, a, as an owner, you can, you can screw up an awful lot. And like the worst thing that happens to you is that people think you're a fool. Like you, you, yeah. I think this is the frustrating thing is like David Tepper could make every bad decision for the next 10 years and he can still just quite happily keep on owning the team. Yeah, he, he, he can still, you know, he can keep ignoring the media for as long as he wants to, you know, when he decides to. Um, but but regardless, you know, so let's let's keep it focused on the coach and the, the GFA. And uh-huh. so so their their options for for doing the right thing has dwindled down to like very few alternatives, right? And so the scary part for me is that in this situation where their seat is extremely high, at least you know, the perception is that it's really hot for Matt Rule and then potentially his GM, Scott Fitterer. Which way do they go? Because to me, the elephant in the room right now that's going to dictate their approach is what we're hearing in the news, um, what we've heard in the news for the last 12 months, but that's resurfacing and it's being amplified by almost every NFL media outlet is that the Carolina Panthers are going to be very aggressive in their pursuit of Deshaun Watson. Yeah. And man, every time I hear that and just keeping it on football, you know, there's a lot that we could talk about in terms of, you know, all the, you know, the allegations, the 22 cases or whatever, but what we know for sure is that the Harris County grand jury decided that they weren't going to um, indict him. Right. So he would face no felony charges. And as soon as that news broke yesterday, then every Panthers fan should have been primed to know that the Carolina Panthers, David Tepper, was going to be very aggressive in his pursuit of Deshaun Watson. And so here we are. Right. Yeah. We're not even 24 hours uh, beyond that moment. And every fan has to be thinking or waiting on notifications to announce that Deshaun Watson has been acquired by the Carolina Panthers or that he's been acquired by somebody else, some other team. The scary part about Deshaun Watson being acquired by the Carolina Panthers is what I mentioned just a few moments ago, is that the Carolina Panthers are believed to be very aggressive in their pursuit of him. And the only thing that we have to be aggressive with is our overall sits draft pick in 2022, and then from what's being rumored, two future first-round draft picks, so that would be 2023 and 2024, um, some other draft picks, you know, maybe, you know, second round or third round draft picks, and maybe two of our young stars, right? And so the alternatives, you know, that, that are left for Matt Rule and Scott Federer to fit this team are going to be significantly impacted by what happens in their pursuit. Because it's not like an if thing, if they're going to pursue Deshaun Watson. It's they're going to, so it's like if they're going to be successful in doing it. So I think, you know, for us, and when we talk about what's going to happen in the draft and what's, what's going to happen in a few days in free agency, it's all framed by this, this variable that's, that's going on with Deshaun Watson's um, a pursuit. And so, so in a scenario where they trade for Deshaun Watson, 
Like, what do you see the outcome for the Carolina Panthers being beyond that? So I think for me, there's kind of three things to talk about with Deshaun Watson. And I'll try and do the, the two football ones first. Um, I think the first thing, and this, this is not just specific to Deshaun Watson, I think this is, this is true for everything they're going to try and do in free agency as well. I think they seem to underestimate how hard it might be for them to attract veteran players, given what's happened over the last two years. Like I, I, I think you know, there was talk of them going after Armstead, the uh, the Saints left tackle in free agency, which would be a great pickup. But the issue is, is any player who has options is likely not going to pick the Panthers. Like, right. like if if you're any veteran player, you either are going to go to the Panthers because you are not going to get the same opportunity elsewhere. Which is those are the players they should target, the players who they think are starters, who other teams don't, because that is something you can sell to guys. But otherwise, if it's someone that every team wants, your only selling point is money. Because, you know, do you want to come to a winning team? Oh, no, right. Do you want to come to a team that's got a long, like a long-standing head coach who's definitely going to be there? Oh, no, okay, right. Do you, you know, it, it, the only thing that they could sell a player like Armstead on is money. We're going to pay you more than anyone else is. And that's a really bad approach to take because that's how you end up in two years' time with a team that's still bottoming out with no cap space because you've overpaid for every guy who comes your way. And Correct. I think that, that that is going to come in with the reason why it's relevant for Watson is I think, you know, they have to convince him to, to um, abandon his no trade clause. Right. And while obviously, you know, I think it sounds like Watson is, it wants to leave Houston. If other teams are offering him a better situation, what, like, what what is what is other than coming home to the Carolinas? What is selling him about coming to Carolina? Because it's not that you've got a long-standing head coach. It's not that you've got a proven offensive scheme. It's not that you've got a really good roster, a good offensive line, winning. You know, there is the only thing they can offer him is we will pay you more, or no one else wants you. And I think I think that is going to be a problem they have attracting players throughout the next, this offseason. I think the other football thing quickly is uh, this comes back to my point I made earlier. Like if they swing for Deshaun Watson, that does not fix the myriad of other issues they have. And that is a very easy way to be sitting here at say five and 12 next season. And you go, okay, we've got Deshaun Watson, but we've got no first or second round pick. And we have almost no other surrounding talent. And not only that, but next year we have no first or second round pick and we have no way of getting better. Well, Vincent, a lot of people will hear what you just said and they'll still miss it. Right. But that's been my focus not only for this offseason, but even last offseason when they were rumored to be trading for him or Matt Stafford and the packages that I was hearing that they were uh, floating out there. Like not very much has changed on this team since last season in terms of us upgrading our roster besides the fact that we drafted who you know, who could be a lockdown cornerback. So, so to help the listeners understand what you mean by the myriad of needs, can you just outline just a couple of the the position groups where we need help at, you know, for this year? Okay, so year. so obviously quarterback, but Watson would fix that. Um, right. The Panthers, I mean, I know they've signed Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble, but they're yet to really work out what's happening in the tight end group. Robbie Anderson yeah. took a definite step back. Terrence Marshall Jr. didn't really show much as a rookie, and DJ Moore is going into the last year of his contract. Uh, right. The offensive line is a complete mess. Nice. Uh, while the defense was quite good, uh, Jermaine Carter, Dante Jackson, Stephon Gilmore, Justin Burris, 
um, Daquan Jones, Hassan Reddick, um, Marquise Haynes are all free agents. Um, so, <laughs> like, I think this is the other thing people miss is, I and mean, this is a comment about like blockbuster NFL trades in general. You don't just give up loads of picks; you give up loads of picks and loads of cap space. Like, if they traded for Deshaun, that would be instead of what they do in free agency because his cap hit would prevent them from doing much else. Like, like. Yeah. <laughs> If you trade for Deshaun, you're then sitting at exactly the same loss you have now, that the one that went right. five and twelve, only right. you lose all the pending free agents pretty much. You don't really get any young players in terms of draft picks, and you then have Deshaun Watson. And not only that, like if that team is bad next year and you fire Matt Rule, you're then trying to attract attract a head coach where who's not going to have a first or second round draft pick for his first two seasons. Like I, I think this is like this comes back to the, like whether or not they fired Matt Rule this offseason. The only the major justification for not firing Matt Rule is that who would want the Panthers' job if you tried to get someone to hire? Like if, if the Panthers would have been the least desirable destination, like they you know you would have got the tenth choice quarterback um, head coach if they'd have fired Matt Rule, because again, who wants a team that is five and twelve in back to back seasons has a whole load of pending free agents, not that much cap space, no quarterback, and one pick in the top hundred and thirty. Yeah. Like, and don't be wrong. I think this is why I mentioned the cautious approach because if you, you know, if whether you trade back in the draft or you stay at six, but if you don't do anything too insane in free agency, you don't make some blockbuster trade. You draft sensibly. You maybe to get one or two guys in the draft. Okay, you might still end up six and eleven or seven and ten, and maybe Matt Rule still gets fired. But if he does, you would then have something to offer a new head coach. You know, you've got a young roster. You've still got draft capital. They'll probably get a lot of comp picks because of all their free agents. You then have something to sell to a new head coach. But if you go all in this offseason and miss, you're then going to struggle to get anyone to come and coach your team because all you're offering them is, do you want to coach a team that's bad with no ability to get better other than the miracle of your coaching? Like, you know, I, I think... You know, if this was year one of Matt Rule and they were sold on the next three years, doing something like this makes some sense. Right. Like, but, but right now, Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer and David Tepper, between them, have made a mess of the Panthers. And a this is mess. now, and this is now a mess they should sit in. Like, you know, it, it, it's you've made a mess. Now fix it. And if you can't fix it, fine. But don't make a mess for the person who might come in after you. And, and that damage limitation is not a message of hope and optimism, I understand. But you would be foolish to just ignore the long-term implications of what you're doing. You know, this is not a roster built to compete right now, so don't ruin any chance of competing in 2025 by doing something extremely aggressive and flawed. And, and, and that's the thing, right? You know, not to get into, like, you know, all the holistic stuff or whatever. But I do remember when I was younger in my career, in my pursuit of being successful, I remember I had like this, uh, this study that was done on, on no, on, on, I forgot what it was called. It's, I think it was destructive characteristics, right? Mm-hmm. And so they went through, you know, each of the people that I was, that I was in this group with, it was a bunch of leaders. And they wanted us to do like some self-analysis and basically, you know, they would take all those things, you know, all the answers that you provided. And then they would basically tell you, you know, what your destructive trait was. Right. And this is, you know, me sharing a lot of personal stuff with you, but, you know, I've had some success in my career, um, which is 
been very fortunate, you know, to experience a lot of things. But, but one of the things that helped me grow in my career, because this happened so early for me, was that my destructive trait early on when I was younger was I had a win at all costs mentality. Yeah. Right. And so because I know that about myself, but well, then I was just discovering it about myself. I made some very forthright adjustments to, to how I pursue things, right? How I pursue opportunity, um, how I pursue anything that I was trying to gain in my life, you know, how, how I even laid out my goals, right? Because if I knew I had a, a destructive trait that was centered around winning at all costs, I think the thing that you need to do first is try to figure out like, what would this cost? Yeah, I mean, not only me, but what would it cost the people around me, right? And so that's a personal approach to winning at all costs. I think when you're the owner of an organization, no, I think right now for Dave Tepper, I think the the prize, the thing that he wants to win is Deshaun Watson, right? Yeah, I think what's being lost in his pursuit of Deshaun is the cost, right? Because he. Right now, I think the the actual victory for him is getting his quarterback more so than it is winning, you know, more so than it is the sustained winning that he promised us, you know, two years ago. And I think him winning Deshaun Watson, I think he's waiting to celebrate that victory. But then I think soon thereafter, based on all the things that you just outlined, he's going to discover that it's impossible to win real football games in a sustained way across multiple seasons with what he just did to get the victory of having Deshaun Watson. And so I'm telling you, man, every time I, every time I I see the news, every time I see the the proposals for him and, and, and honestly, you know, beyond the, we know we're trying to keep it football, but beyond the cost, the football cost is going to be the public, the public image, you know, that that he has, you know, as an owner of this particular franchise with some of the history that we have with the previous owner. There's so many ways he can lose this, um, you know, lose in doing this, that, our, you know, football, you know, we can keep to that. And, you know, and, and so, you know, you outlined those reasons, but there's yeah. so many ways that he can, he can really destroy, um, you know, some good, some good will and, and favor um, that he doesn't have very much of. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I think know, it's always the really bad man. I think there are several points off that. I think what the, the, the most important one, um, I think, is you know self awareness is a really really valuable skill, and the right. Panthers could really do with some right now to, to right. actually just take an honest look at the mirror and go, where are we as a franchise, right. uh, and what is it we actually like? Who who are we, and what are our flaws? Because I think that. I, if I'm honest, I think that was Ron Rivera's biggest failing as a coach. I think he was, you know, I think Ron's biggest issue was not the mistakes he made; is that he kept making the same mistakes. Right. And and you know, <laughs> Matt Rule is starting to get a similar reputation. Um, I I think uh, it, it, you know, David Tepper's world is finance. I think if you want a finance example, look at what Nick Leeson did at Bearings. You know. The solution to losing money is not trying to make more money back because you end up bankrupting one of the world's oldest banks. Like, 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 you know, you can't keep chasing losses. Eventually, you know, that does not work. 
Right. I think also, I, I, you know, I know we want to keep it football on the whole. And again, I, I, I think it is a bad football decision. I just stress that. But I do, I think it would be inappropriate not to also talk a little bit about the, the non-football stuff. Um, yes. And so <sighs> these things are not simple. They are extremely complex. And there sh- I, I would just point out there will probably be an article on the right report along these lines on Monday. So this will be only a, like a snapshot of what I'll talk about there. But I think the thing that people f- fail to understand is that, you know, I think there are people who, who, who look at what happened yesterday and they think that, okay, that's fine. So he's innocent then. And I think that there is a real failure to understand the difference between innocence and lack of provable guilt. Um, and don't wrong, there will definitely be fans for whom it, you know, they just, it doesn't enter their mind and they don't give a shit, frankly. Right. And, right. and uh, I found that a lot over the last 24 hours. Yeah. I, I will point, so this is a bit of an anecdote, but so the rugby club I support, which is London Irish, um, about three years ago signed a player called Paddy Jackson. And Paddy Jackson, about a year before that, was prosecuted for rape and was found not guilty. Um, and fairly controversially so, but that isn't really that important. Like, but but they, 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 you know, they signed this player and again got a massive public backlash and you know, dropped, lost lots of sponsors and all that kind of stuff. And they've still kept him and he still plays for them. And I think the point I'd say is this, is... It, it really sucks being a fan of a team when you have that kind of shadow over you. Because not just, like, lo- losing is not fun. No one likes losing. But right. there is nothing quite as dispiriting as winning with a caveat. Like, every, you know, per- per- personally, I, you know, it is harder to support the team. It makes winning feel less good. It, 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 yes. it, it like... Even aside from like the ethics of whether Watson should be able to play and all these kind of things, and I do think there are these are really complex issues. But I think if if you're just viewing it from the perspective of a Panthers fan, because I think that is the message that people will take from this, you you right. do not want to be a fan of a team that has Deshaun Watson. And, and, that doesn't mean that Deshaun Watson should be banned from ever playing in the NFL again, because I think without the criminal conviction, those things are very hard to to justify. Right. But 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 you don't want to be the team that he plays to, to support so, the team that he plays for. And so, you know, it's, I'm glad you said that, you know, because I really didn't know how far to take that part of this conversation. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to put it like this. And, and I hope I don't take too long trying to explain it. When I started Panthers culture back in April, 2019, so maybe three years ago, Right. I grew up a San Francisco 49ers fan. And have been a fan for at that point, maybe 30, 31, 32 years. I don't know. But I have been a, a fan for as long as I've been watching NFL football. You know, my heroes are Joe Montana and Steve Young, Jerry Rice, that whole crew, right? And I've been through all the down years. I, I watched them you know, revived themselves in 2011. You know, while I was a fan of the 49ers, the Carolina Panthers came about. I'm from upstate South Carolina. I remember, you know, when the Carolina Panthers um, 
were born and and I rooted for the Panthers too. They were the home team. And, you know, for a good portion of those 30 plus years, I always considered the 49ers my team and the Carolina Panthers my home team. And when the Carolina Panthers did well, I supported them when they went to the Super Bowl in 03. Um, I supported them. I wanted them to win. I wanted them to win any game where they were playing, where they weren't playing the 49ers. And then if they played the 49ers, I didn't care who won, right? Yeah. Up until 2018. And from 2016 until 2018, there was this thing going on in the NFL that was that was happening because Colin Kaepernick decided he was going to protest you know, for, um, you know, the injustices that was happening against people of color. Mm -hmm. And I was a really big supporter of Colin Kaepernick for doing what he was doing. Um, I'm a black man, you know, I'm a football fan and I'm a military veteran, I'm all of that, but I was a black man who who was really affected by what was going on at the hands of law enforcement. And what Colin Kaepernick was doing, it resonated with me because you know, not just who I am, but because, you know, it, I just thought it was very, very courageous for him to do. And people have their takes on that and, and whatever they are, they are what they are. But that's where I was as a fan, as a fan of football. And in my community, um, I think a lot of times, you know, being a minority, people don't really see our voices being a big voice in NFL fandom. And I learned that very, very, very hard, you know, the, you know, during that period of time between 2016 and 2018. But so Colin Kaepernick protest during the 2016 season, he was joined by Eric Reed and Eli Harrell there in San Francisco. Um, obviously, everybody remembers how that went. Um, but I was paying, you know, really close attention to it because it was a team I was really following. Um, after that year, um, the San Francisco 49ers got a new regime in with Kyle Shanahan. They got a new GM in with um, John Lynch. And one of the first things they did is they sat down with Colin Kaepernick. They basically told him that um, that he could either decline his option on his contract or they would cut him. And to save face, he decided that he was going to decline the option and he was going to pursue free agency. Well, Colin Kaepernick has never worked in the NFL a day after that day. Um, this is early 2017. Um, later that year, or somewhere around that time, they asked John Lynch as a new GM, what did he think about the protests that were happening in San Francisco? And he said, I believe that they are divisive for a locker room. And John Lynch proceeded to, um, you know, over the next season, um, systematically, you know, I, I believe, you know, address those issues that were remaining on the roster. Those issues, I think, were Eric Reed and Eli Harrell. You know, within the next 12 months, they were gone. And so they were no longer part of the team. Um, my transition to the 40, to the from the 49ers to the Panthers happened when Dave Tepper um, and Ron Rivera decided that they were going to pick up Eric Reed. And during that time, this was 2018, um, that whole offseason through preseason and early, I guess, the first two, three weeks of the season, 
I really wasn't watching NFL football. I decided I was going to blackball it for as much as I could. I was still playing fantasy in full disclosure, but I wasn't really watching. Um, but what Carolina did in signing Eric Reed, it gave me hope again. And, and conveniently for me, it was the home team, remember? You know, it was yeah. my team. It was the team I grew up near and I had followed since 95. And so I felt good about making that transition to making all of my support support the Carolina Panthers because I felt like Dave Tepper had done something that was very courageous um, at a time where the other owners seemingly weren't going to sign anybody that was connected to the original protest. And, and it brought me home. And, and when I got home, you know, a lot of people that knew me for a long time questioned, like, man, like, that's, how did you even do that? Like, how, you know, like, you still a 49 at heart and this and that. I said, nah, man, I said, I'm in this. I'm in this thing with Carolina. And a lot of things that I really like, you know, was going on in Carolina. You know, you had a, a minority head coach in Ron Rivera. You had Cam Newton as, as quarterback. Um, they signed Eric Reed, you know, Christian McCaffrey was going into his um, his third season. You know, there was so much to be excited about. And, and so, you know, I, I was like, man, you know, like went through, finished the 18 season. We got into the 2019 season. I was like, man, you know, like, you know, there's still some, you know, some, some, you know, some, some space in this, in this Carolina Panthers fandom to, to continue, continue doing some of the things I like doing, like writing about sports and everything. So I started Panthers culture and man, I was so excited early in the 2019 season because they had given Eric Reed another deal. Um, you know, we had to figure out what was happening with Cam because he was coming off that shoulder, but you know, it was reason to believe he could recover. Um, but, you know, things went the way they went and it was, I had left the team that I grew up loving because I didn't agree with how they handled a situation that was really near and dear to me um, because of my values and everything. And, 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 and that was personal though, you know, that was personal. And, and, and it was personal for a lot of other people that I knew too, that I figured, you know, that I found along the way. But now I'm in Carolina and now I'm following this team. I, I'm giving them 100% of everything. Like this is my team. This is my home. You know, this, I don't want to root for another team. I don't want, you know, to, to support anything but the Carolina Panthers when it comes to the NFL. And I mean that with 100% of everything, you know. And so now I'm in a position as a fan to where I've supported Cam Newton. I've supported Kyle Allen. I've supported Teddy Bridgewater. You know, to an extent, you know, I've supported Weir Greer when he had his chances and P.J. Walker when he's had his, you know, small chances, you know, over the years. And for disclosure, I've never been high on Sam Donald. So, I, I mean, but I tried to support him even, right? But that's all about performance. When it comes to the potential of Deshaun Watson becoming a Carolina Panther, I think the thing that's the most unsettling for me and what I try to do, you know, from my little platform that I built over the last three years and, you know, celebrating this team, sharing news about this team, you know, trying to do play-by-play you know, for the, you know, for the, the games that we play. Um, I, I really thought to myself the other night, what is it going to feel like with Deshaun Watson, you know, scoring, you know, touchdowns? Like, how do we even celebrate? You know, we have so many women that I've seen respond 
really negatively about you know the potential of Sean Watson coming to this fan base and 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 we have a large percentage of women who are fans um, of the Carolina Panthers. I don't know how it makes them feel, you know, for their team to 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 be celebrating, you know, the not even you know the person. I think the we don't know who the person is. We don't know that he's guilty, um, but we also don't know that he's innocent. And but we know that perception is reality for a lot of people. And and I don't think he would be able to shake this perception um, overnight. And for some people, he never will. And some people believe like, oh, you know, but if he wins, you know, then people just forget about things when people win. That could be true for some. Um, some people don't care right now. But I do believe for, for a part of the fan base that's really, you know, unquantifiable, it's always going to bother yeah. them. It's always going to bother us, you know, that he is the guy that we are being made to celebrate because he's in the most important position on this team. Whenever they win, they're going to put a microphone in his face. I think that's the thing. It, yeah, it, it, it's 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 you you will you know, if you signed a backup linebacker who had these allegations, it doesn't make it ethically better or anything like that. No, but you know he will be the face of the franchise if they trade for him. He's going to be the face. He's going to represent the Carolina Panthers and all the fans, you know, that support this team, all the people who buy tickets, all the people who buy apparel. You can't hide a franchise quarterback. The crazy part is if he was just being asked to come in and be a bridge, you know, then you know that this is going to be a temporary thing that you but signed I, up for. I, 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 I think I think even in that situation, I think, okay, so I think there's an important point to make that I think the the issue with these kind of accusations in particular is that we know the conviction rates are extremely low. Right. Like, like we know that the amount of evidence that is required to convict people of accusations like this is such that there is a real difference between not guilty and innocent. And that doesn't mean that he is guilty. It just means that, you know, if, if, if someone was accused of murder and they were found not guilty, there is, you know, there is still a chance that it was a wrong conviction, but those, those chances are much less. The proportion of sexual assaults that actually end in conviction is so small that there is, closure is not a reality in these things. Right. Like, you know, and, and even uh, being willing to sign a player like Deshaun Watson or a player with Deshaun Watson's accusations against them is is a statement whether you want it or not as an as as an owner in particular it is a statement of what you think is important and yeah, and, and, the, and what your values are and i think you know ultimately we are two men talking about this right i think our relationship with these things is is inherently different but there are people who will have survived things like this and that you know i i cannot imagine how alienated you would feel by a team that chose to do something like this. Like, don't worry, I, 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 I'm not saying that, that you can't feel alienated without that, but I, I, I really struggle to, to think, to understand why as a, why you think this, why as an ownership group or an owner, you would, you would 
want to be the owner who does this. Because for the next 10 years, whichever owner signs off on this will be the owner that was happy trading for Deshaun Watson. Let me give you a, a visual. For the last 10 years in Carolina, I would say for at least, what, nine of those years, Cam Newton was the franchise face of the Carolina Panthers, right? Super talented, young quarterback, you know, who was in the community, you know, who you incorporated in big events, you know, in your community, in your venue at Bank of America Stadium for different things, kicking it with Cam, you know, things he did around town. And all I can see is all the pictures I saw with Cam taking pictures with fans. Yeah. You know, women and men alike, children, you know. Deshaun Watson, talent-wise, is good enough to where he would be able to have those type of keys to the to the town, yeah. to the city. But I can't imagine him having that type of um, connection in the Carolina community as we've seen our last franchise quarterback have. No. And and I know, I don't know, you know, what it would look like with him or would he even pursue those type of ventures. But I do not think he would be able to connect in the way that our past franchise QB did because of what you said. You know, I think so many of them would feel alienated. I don't think they would feel like they can get as close to, to him just perception-wise. And again, anybody listening, please don't take this as me saying that Deshaun Watson is guilty of anything because I don't know. Um, only thing we know is that they couldn't, they didn't have enough evidence to support charging him with any felony. There's still a lot to be determined in his civil cases. He's going to be deposed. So much more is going to be is going to come out. And, and based I, on- I, 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 mean, I think the other thing is that the reality is that probably won't happen. Like he'll statistically, he will probably settle. Right. Like I, and I should point out that like, you know, there's, there's still a lot that will, the narrative around this is it's a day since the, the, the announcement. Um, so things will change a lot. And to be clear, there are probably people, there are definitely people who are having this conversation with much more information and with much more, much more articulately and much more in, in a much more informed way than we are. Like this is not meant yeah. to be, here is the definitive take on the Sean Watson. Right. I just think the point I want to stress is, I don't know, this is maybe a crap analogy, but you know, if, if you ever get like a sore shoulder or like something like bothers you and yeah. you, you only really think about how nice it is to not have that when you have the, I think people take for granted how good it is to be able to, support a team without any qualms without any equivocation with just you know this you know i really love the carolina panthers and i don't have to worry about that and like it can be it can be a truly unreserved enthusiasm and i think you only realize how valuable that is when you lose it and as someone who has lost it for one team i can tell you it really sucks Uh, and Winning at all costs isn't worth it. And, and and thank you for saying that because that's where I'm at with it too. I know how it feels 
to try to support a team that you don't agree with and you don't truly, in my mind, at the end of my time of supporting 49ers, I really didn't want to see them successful pursuing it the way that they were. A, a, a team that you don't think really cares about you, like that, yes. that ultimately wants your money and nothing else. And so because of how they reacted to something that I really felt passionate about and the fact that they discarded it as divisive, you know, while making other actions that wasn't consistent with that, um, I really felt like they were hypocritical. And as an adult male that was a paying fan, I didn't want to support that and eventually it got so bad to where I didn't want to watch it. And I've been through that deterioration as a fan. I don't want that for myself again, because like I said, I'm in Carolina now. I'm putting 100% into you know my fandom as a Carolina Panthers fan. I don't want to feel conflicted as a fan again. And that's, for me personally, yeah. that's what I want to avoid. So I'm really hopeful that one of these other teams that have more ammunition to give towards a trade and that, that, that look like a better situation for a quarterback looking for a team with a good coach, owner, you know, defense, whatever the things that he feels that he needs to be successful and help rehabilitate his image as an NFL QB, a winning QB. I hope that he sees one of these other um, situations as, as 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 more accommodating for that than he sees Carolina. I think that's a, um, I think that's a that's sort of a great way of putting it. So I think it's 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 not that that Deshaun Watson shouldn't be allowed to play in the NFL. It's just I don't want him in the pan on the Panthers. Like I, it, it's like, yeah. and people should and people should respect that. I see a lot of fans, you know, suggesting that you know oh, it's hypocritical for you to you know to to want him to play somewhere you know, but you don't want it for Carolina. No, it's it's if if you feel that way as a fan. You know that it makes you feel uncomfortable in any way, or makes you feel conflicted in any way um, about how you would would posture your support for it. Then it's okay to just want to avoid it. And again, you can feel that way without without saying that he's guilty. You can feel that way without you know saying for sure that you know that he shouldn't play in the NFL. You we can want Deshaun Watson. I'm gonna say want. You can you can accept. Deshaun yeah, Watson I think, yeah. being 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 allowed to play in the NFL without him playing for your team, without yeah. wanting him to play for your team, and that's I mean honestly that's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to leave it. Watson and um and I really said more than I thought, but I think it's good um, because I really needed to vent about it a little bit more than I've been able to tweet about it. Um, but but I hope it's clear you know, where I stand. And honestly, it was actually cool because we haven't talked about this, Vincent, um, to, to, to see that you being a fan um, that's not even located in the States, you know, and, and the way that you read the situation is, is consistent with, you know, how I see it and how other fans see it. And it's not consistent with all fans, you know, we know that, but, but it's, it's a sentiment that I know I don't feel alone in feeling um, and, and being able to talk that out. But regardless of what happens, it does or has the potential of having some impact on what the Panthers do to fix, you know, the situation. Like we mentioned before, the alternatives of how to fix that have been narrowed down to, to very few ways in which we can fix this, uh, fix this team. So that said, 
Excellent before, before we get to the draft and, and how we can do it there, um, free agency is around the corner. Yeah. You know, just a, just a few days away. And so um, we're going to do a quick free agency primer. Yeah. Um, and so um, who are the free agents that the Panthers currently have, Vincent, that you think, you know, we need to put some emphasis on re-signing or, you know, it doesn't matter if they move on from them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the big one is Reddick. I, I, I think the... It seems fairly likely he's going to test free agency. I, I, I well, no, he is going to test free agency. Whether he comes back, I think, seems fairly up in the air. I, uh, I, I say that just because I, in terms of Reddick being the most important, I think he is. If you look at the Panthers' past rushing stats, they are very, very dependent on Burns and Reddick. Like right. they, they are a huge proportion of their pass rush. Right. Um, and I think losing Reddick would be a. <sighs> It's one of those things where it's like one step forward, two steps back. Right. You know, if you if you are able to find players, you know, you know, it wasn't that people didn't know Hassan Reddick was good, but the Panthers, you know, they were the ones that took the swing. They trusted that he could replicate what he'd done the season prior. He did. If you know, if you then let him walk in free agency, it it's very hard to build something if you can't retain your own good players. He is in his prime. He is a good scheme fit. He is at a position of need. There is everything that you should want to resign a player. That Hassan Reddick takes every box you could want. I, 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 I think he should absolutely be the priority. Um, I think the other player who's been talked a lot about is is Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I think Stephon Gilmore is an excellent cornerback, and if he retires, the Panthers should offer him assistant coaching position, like. <laughs> within the hour like he he right. he he would be a i remember watching um he did a uh, like a breakdown with brian boldinger a few years I ago and and, and you watch it and there's a few players who did ones where you watch them and think that player will be an excellent coach because not just that you know there are lots of players who are very good there are not that many players who are very good really understand what it is that they do well and are able to articulate it and stefan right. gilmore is someone who not just is excellent at what he does, but he understands exactly what makes him good and he is able to articulate it and work on it and communicate it. And he, he is a fantastically intelligent player and a fantastically good player. He right. is, however, quite old. <laughs> and, and like, I think it would be a shame if he signs with the Panthers. I think that would be a waste of some time of his career. Like, I know it's home and I understand yeah. it has some value, but... Right come back and coach in a couple of years and go somewhere where you can actually win something because it's, 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 you know, I don't think the Panthers are going to compete this year. And I think for Stefan Gilmore at this point in his career, it is very much about the next year and the year after yeah. that. It's, it's not about what you're going to be. It's the same argument for why they should, why I think letting Bradbury walk was not the worst idea because yeah. he was at an age where by the time they got good, he might no longer be at that level. Right. And and the same way, like I think that is that is very much the case for for Stephon Gilmore, where I think the Panthers definitely got good value in terms of the trade, but I just I think it was a waste of half a season of elite cornerback play to make you know he maybe won them one game with the the pick at the end of the Falcons game, but yeah, you know, I, I I think you can make a similar argument for Cam Newton as well. Maybe you know I think Cam is not you know he's clearly deteriorated as a player, and I I. I I think it's a, a real shame, but I, I right. 
I don't think his age, I mean, if Cam was a bridge, then okay. But I just, I think Gilmore should go elsewhere for his career as much as anything else. I think with Cam, I, I, I think the issue is if you bring Cam back, his significance to this franchise outside of what he does on the field is so significant that it is, it is never, as long as he is on this roster, there will always be people who want him to play. Oh, yeah. And For and sure. I can and I can absolutely and don't be wrong. Like when he came that 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 Cardinals game was by far the best thing that happened all season. Like that was ju- I I, the, I, I was the sitting there. I, <laughs> I was sitting there on a sofa grinning like a child. Just like this is fantastic. This is this is this is what I you know my my uh, I got into the NFL about the time that Cam Newton came to the Panthers and yeah. it was just you know. It, Cam Newton being good is one of the most fantastic things you can watch on a, on a, on a, on a field. And I, I can absolutely understand why so many fans are so wont to let that go. Right. But, but I, 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 I think it is probably best if he moves on. I, I, I just, I, I don't think that I, the issue is, is that as long as he's with the Carolina Panthers, there will be a, a section of the fan base who will blame everything on Cam, and there is a section of the fan base who will blame everything on it not being Cam's fault. And I, I, <laughs> oh, oh, everything. I, uh, yeah, and, and it's I, I just I think that has I, I, I think this is going to be an ongoing issue for the Panthers that you know, even pre Cam Newton, like this was a major issue around Teddy, is that everything you know everything was framed about him compared to Cam. Right, and, it was never fair. And, and, but I don't think it helps anyone. And I think this is something yeah. as a fan base, we have to, we do like as painful as it is, we do have to move past because Cam is not who Cam was. And, and you can't keep comparing every, you know, Cam Newton should be in the hall of fame when he retires. He right. is the greatest Russian quarterback of all time. I think if he, if he hadn't got hurt, was legitimately on pace to be in the goat conversation. Like, and I, I don't say that hyperbolic. Like, he was he was on like all time great pace pre injury, right? But that's not who he is now, and that player right. isn't coming back. And I, I I I think we shouldn't confuse the the memories we have of prime Cam with the player, the the free agency decision that's in front of us. Well, yeah, and, and before I let you go on to some of the other players, I want to take this time and, and speak about Cam. And you were right, you know, that that Arizona game was the was the high point of, of this season. Um, that was the most exciting game that I watched. And, you know, I'm older now. And so it, it takes a, a lot to just get me, you know, to feel that 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 feeling of energy of like, wow, I, I love being a fan in this moment. And I haven't been able to feel like that for a team that I can call my own, you know, very often lately. And that day yeah. was like the day. And then the, when they came back home, I actually went to that game with my son. And they lost that game um, against Washington. But Cam looked pretty good. You know, they, I mean, just being real, you know, there were some things that you could see just watching him in real time, where you're like, you know, he doesn't move as fast as he used to move. Yeah, um, his, 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 his arm just clearly, like, yeah, he clearly he can't just, do the stuff he used to. Yeah, he can't do a lot of the same things. So you could tell, you know, they were working him into, you know, the 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 scheme and everything at that point. And you're like, okay, you know, th- this is what this version of Cam looks like. And 
and just being emotional for a minute, I was like, man, I love this feeling so much. I love that energy I saw in Charlotte that day so much to where I was like, shoot, man, forget it. You know, let's just bring him back, you know, at least give him, you know, give him 2022 opportunity to, to get into the playbook and so on and so forth. But then, you know, as you know, like the Miami game, you know, we saw the wheels start coming off again. And eventually, you know, it just, you know, one thing just kind of turned into another and you can see the limitations uh, of this yeah. version of Cam it, Newton. It, it, and, it, should, it, it should be pointed out that they, they didn't lose because of Cam. But no. I think I think the, the issue is, is that for so many years, they won because of Cam. Because, and, and, and that's what fans expect. He, he would um, come in and he would fix other issues. Like the offensive line would be rubbish and the receivers wouldn't be very good, but Cam would right. fix it and he's not that player anymore. Yeah, he just doesn't have enough you know, to to overcompensate like we're used to him, you know, used yeah. to seeing him do. Like he basically came in and was a, a superhero. Yeah. And he's not that superhero now. He's like the superhero that still looks like the same guy, still looks like he still should have the same superpowers, but he just doesn't. You know, he's a mere mortal. And that mere mortal is good enough to play in the NFL, but it's not good enough to to pull a to pull a bad team or to compensate for for you know, deficiencies no, on the fair. team. And so so now I'm just at a point where this was the point I was at in 2020 as well. You know, it's I just felt like when 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 they released Cam, when they tried to trade him but then released him, I just felt like the 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 book of Cam was closed, right? Yeah. And so as a fan I just felt like the healthy thing to do is try to figure out how to grow as a fan and as a follower of football and try to understand to understand football. It's better to just try to grow beyond what Cam was at that position. Not that you need to neglect the position and the importance of it, but you need to figure out like I may get a quarterback who doesn't play like Cam. Yeah. So how does this team function with a quarterback who doesn't play like Cam Newton played? What if you can't get a dual threat? You know, like there's other ways to win in the NFL with quarterbacks who aren't six foot five, 250 pounds, runs a four or five and can throw the ball 70 yards. How can you do it? Right. Yeah. And so let's find a guy, you know, whether he can or can't do that, let's just find the next guy. And so, you know, we, we go through Teddy, they figured that that doesn't work. And so they ended up trading for Sam and, you know, and it was Matt Rule saying stuff during that time, like, oh, you know, you know, Sam ran for five touchdowns in the first three games, and that set some type of record or something. Like, he can do – and people start saying he can do some of the same things as Cam, and everything becomes this comparison to Cam, right? I think, I think, that's, I think that's the thing. Is like, you, we cannot spend the next five years comparing every quarterback to Cam because I don't know where you – the number of people who would come off better than Cam Newton in that comparison is like six guys in NFL history. Like That's prime it. Cam Newton is up there with anybody. And, 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 you, and the standard cannot be, you have to be the goat to play quarterback for this team. And it just can't. I tell people like, you know, there had a conversation with a friend of mine. Um, I was at a party. We were watching, um, we were watching NFL. I think we was watching like Green Bay versus Kansas City or somebody last year. I forget who they were playing, but I knew it was Green Bay. And this guy is a, is a Miami Dolphins fan, right? And, you know, so we were having conversations around Tua. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was telling me that Tua wasn't the starter in the NFL, 
right? You know, and I was like, man, that's pretty hard to say at this point. You know, he's so early in his career. And he was like, yeah, you know, he, you know, and his other guys too. And he started rattling off these names. He included Teddy Bridgewater and was saying, hey, look, you know, these guys, you know, they can't, they're not, you know, they're not NFL, you know, quarterbacks or whatever. And I was like, man, I said, you understand that there are 32 teams in the league, right? And out of 32, they're only about, I would say, eight to nine who you could just say are clearly a cut above the rest, right? Yeah. And then that leaves you with about, you know, 21, 23, you know, guys yeah. that are really close in terms of what they bring to your team. And there are quarterbacks who start in the NFL who are clearly not of a sufficient standard. Like there, like there yeah. are guys who, who won't be long-term franchise quarterbacks. And yeah. you have to be honest about who players are. Yeah. But, you can win in the NFL without Aaron Rodgers or Mahomes or, or, or Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. Like right. Matt but Stafford is, is but, Matt Stafford is not as good as those guys. And he just won a Super Bowl. And people, but, and people think that because he won the Super Bowl, that he's on the level of, of the guys you just named. The reality is he isn't like I saw, I saw Jared Goff throw 36 touchdowns in that offense. And he's terrible. And he's terrible. But, you know, this is about Cam, you know. And so the reality is, is that there's Cam can never return to that, that, that elite caliber player. No. And honestly, if we're being honest with ourselves, I think at best Cam is in the bottom third or the bottom quarter of the top 32 yeah. at best. That's at probably best. where he is now. And so that's not a knock on Cam. That's not a knock on anything that he's ever done. I just think that it's just at a point where if that's the best production you're going to get from that individual player at this point in their career, his his intangible valuable you no know, value to to Carolina, you know, far outweighs what his production can be for Carolina. And I think you know that in itself is a distraction because of things you mentioned before, you know, there's a certain set of the fan base that's going to believe that, you know, in me on some days, even that if he's on the team on the sideline, that if the guy in front of him is having problems, you know, performing, then you automatically like Cam needs to be in the game, you know? And, and for as long as that continues, I think we as fans, you know, I think we, I think we just stay stuck, you know, in, in the mindset that that the QB position in Carolina has to look like that unicorn that's yep. been here for the last decade. And and I think I think but you know, I think for us, I think it's just better. Yeah, to move on. We let Cam go and we let Cam go for the same reason you mentioned that it'd be good for Stefan Gilmore to go at this stage in his cornerback career is if if Cam can can find a, a situation where he can come in, he can compete in camp, he could be in a good locker room with a bunch of young guys, but where his presence isn't bigger than life. I think, um, that's, I think, that's, I think that's the thing is like I think Cam can be a great mentor for a young quarterback. The issue is in Carolina that that will never. That, that, that conversation will never be an honest one because it will always be either if, you know, it, 
if if the team is not doing well, it's because Cam's a distraction. If the team, um, you know, is doing well, they'd be doing better if Cam was start. You know, it will it will it will not be fair on Cam. That like I I I just don't think there will ever be an an honest conversation about the situation of the Panthers as long as Cam Newton is there because there are sides who are so invested in their in their in their you know either Cam fandom or Cam hatred that it will it will never be an honest appraisal of what is in front of them. And it, and it always be a distraction, whether people admit it or not. Like at this point, it would be a it would be a distraction yeah. because it would always be divisive. Yeah. Um, you know, but okay, you know, we spoke about Gilmore, we spoke about Reddick, and then we just spoke on Cam, you know, but there are other guys like, you know, Dante Jackson, Daquan Jones, Matt Paradis, like, so what are your takes on on guys like that? Oh, and even Jermaine Carter, I forget it. No, he was the starting linebacker. So yeah, I, I, those guys? I think Jermaine Carter is probably, it seems like he will leave, not because I think he was, I think he's, I think he has some limitations as a player, but I think he's a good player. I think the issue is, is just like, there are so many players who are leaving the like he is going to get paid, it seems not necessarily like a megastar money, but he is, you know, he is going to someone is going to pay him starting linebacker money. And the issue is the Panthers have too many players to replace. He is too far down on their list of players right. for them to be able. Like, I'm not saying there's no chance he comes back, but I, 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 he is probably the fourth or fifth most important pending free agent for the Panthers, and he is going to get paid like some. Well, he deservedly is going to get paid like someone who is better than that. Like I. I I think it's the same. There are there are there are a few players like this. I think for the Panthers, like I think Daquan Jones might be similar. Like Daquan Jones probably should be starting somewhere in the NFL, and the Panthers just do not have the money to go and pay him starting money. Right. Um, I think Dante. I mean, sorry, I, I, the last one to talk about before we get on to the interesting one. Like Matt Paradis, I think is gone. Like again, I think his his age just does not fit. I think he was actually right. much better than people remember him. In. I think he like he was massively misused his first year in Carolina. And was yeah. actually like a good starting center the last like year and a half before he got injured. But I, I just yeah. he's old. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it's the second you know significant leg injury in the past what five years for him. Yeah, yeah. I, I, he, 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 yeah. He, I don't think that makes any sense. I think Dante is the interesting one. I they obviously have invested a lot in corner over the last like two years. Yeah, I I think. So I wouldn't mind if they brought Dante back, but I would be curious to see if they try and use him a bit like Hartsfield, where they right. use both guys as like safety slash corners. Yeah. And and they play Dante at safety a bit and they play Hartsfield at safety a bit and they play Dante at corner a bit and they play Hartsfield at corner a bit. Yeah. Um, because I think Dante has a lot of traits that would work quite well at, at safety. Right. Um, and I think it then, it allows you to... The, the issue is, is that given they've traded for Bouye not Bouye, they traded for Henderson, they've got Bouye, they've got um, JC Horn, Keith Taylor was really good as a rookie, you've got Hearts for like, and Stan Thomas Oliver is like a fairly good special teams, like number five corner type guy, like they don't need another corner, but the way you can make that work is if you get the value where you, you view them more as defensive backs, and so him and Hartsfield and Bouye all can play some safety and some corner. And so it's not like these, these hybrid utility defensive back. Yeah, and, and you might because effectively what you should be paying for is less, particularly in like defensive backs, you, you don't pay for their role, you pay for their snap count effectively. Like yeah. it doesn't matter if you're technically not, you know, if you're CB3, but you play 100% of the snaps, it doesn't really matter. You've got to, you know, I think you could get a situation where Dante is playing 100% of the snaps, but not playing all of them at corner. And so 
I, I think there is, I, I think Gilmore could do it as well. I just think Dante is of an age that makes more sense and probably, again, a lot of these things, it will come down to how much someone else is willing to pay him. Like if someone yeah. is going to pay him premier number one cornerback money, then I, I don't think the Panthers can match that. But I yeah. think I could see a way in which you could have Dante as part of, uh, you could bring back Dante without having to sacrifice playing time for Horn or Taylor or or Henderson or or Hartsfield. You wouldn't have to sacrifice. You wouldn't you wouldn't be blocking a path for a young player by signing Dante. I, th- I think you could you could bring Dante back um, without having to sacrifice your sort of stream of young defensive backs. And you're back. Sorry, you, you cut out yeah. a second. <laughs> yeah, I cut out. Yeah. So I um, mean, you were saying that you you wouldn't have to. I missed that last part. Yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll repeat it. But like, basically, you what you don't want to do is sign veterans who then stop you playing your good young players. Like, yeah. you know, you, you you want to make your roster. You should be using your free agency money to make the most improvement possible. And I think the way you can do that with Dante is by using him in different ways. Right. Not actually like, like you don't have to overthink it and be like, oh, we're going to play him at linebacker 20% of the time just to confuse <laughs> people. Like you yeah. can do it in just a, like a natural way where there is some rotation. Um, well, you, well, I mean, I think that that actually works. I think, you know, based on what you were saying before we cut out a bit, you know, the kind of deal that I kind of anticipate happening for Dante if he's to be pulled away from Carolina would be like, I think what um, – Shaquem Griffin got down in, in Jacksonville, you know, where, you know, they, they, they kind of, I don't know if they overpaid him, you know, but he ended up getting an early deal in free agency and, you know, those cornerbacks, you know, they, they, they have to take those deals if they get offered that. Um, I don't think every NFL needy, you know, NFL team that's needy for quarterback, cornerback would, would, give Dante a bunch of money, but I think there are certain teams, you know, where he would get that kind of money. Um, I do think he has value. Like Dante really, he stepped up, you know, in the last two years, especially this past year before he went down with injury again. I think the thing that I was most impressed by was his tackling ability. Like he really yeah. came up and made some some big hits, um, you know, the close to the line of scrimmage, you know, that that really surprised me. And, you know, it's his willingness for contact that, that I like, and I think you know, you, you mentioned Gilmore having that same type of ability, maybe to play some you know some hybrid safety corner role. Uh, but I think at the age and the willingness, you know, to tackle, I think Dante would be better. And when I look back at when I've seen Dante, you know, being really good, is it was like when he was in like that tweener type position on the field, you know, like maybe in zone, you yeah, know, he, where he's able to like keep his eyes on the you know on the quarterback and. He's got really good. He's got really good ball skills. He's got very good straight line speed. He does, you know, he's not as good in man coverage as you might think. He's not. Uh, He's not actually super twitchy. Um, Like he's not. He's not a great like mirror match type guy. And he has got really quite short arms. But he's got really good ball skills. He reads the game well, and he's got really good straight line speed. And and he. I think importantly, if you're going to go and sign a player in free agency, like he clearly cares, like his attitude is, you know, right. I, I know he got sort of as a rookie, there was, you know, Ron Rivera sort of laid into him in that Pittsburgh game, but like, <laughs> he, you know, you, you know, he, 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 there is a willingness to be, to, 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 to compete and a willingness to be engaged physically that is not necessarily taken for granted with corners, shall we say. 
Right, and 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 that part about him I love, and, and it was clear that he was like one of the most vocal leaders in the locker room, yeah. um, especially amongst the DB group. You know, like a lot of the guys, like JC, you know, mentioned him, um, you know, as being somebody that you know, that was very vocal and very helpful to them. I mean, obviously when Stephon Gilmore showed up and he was the DP, you know, former Defensive Player of the Year, you know, they all kind of gravitated towards him and his wisdom, um, like you mentioned before, because he has so much. But I think in terms of being vocal, I think yeah. Dante is still the guy. Oh yeah, and, yeah no. and, and you do yeah. need and you do need some guys like that. You you yeah, do you, need people who are vocal leaders, not just strategic leaders. Right, and so I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see what what happens with them. You know, we are we are cornerback heavy, and so I could see why they would be willing to part ways with them instead of paying them. You know, especially when you know they're trying to figure out how to address so many other needs on the team. You know, but um, but. You know, if they were able to do it, you know, and, and if it was team friendly um, and they use them in the ways that you mentioned, like in a more versatile way, then I I, I would be very open to him returning. So so those yeah. were the, the the players that that are current Panthers and you know, what can potentially happen for them and what we would like to see happen with them. Now, what about the um, the players that we may target in free agency? Like, what are you thinking? Like, what should be like what would be your ideal first notification that the Panthers have signed, I wouldn't even say player, but position, like what, what, oh. what type of player do you want to see first? I, I think they do have to find one offensive linesman. I yeah. think pro- probably an interior guy would be best. Cause I think right. if you like, I mean, we had these conversations last year, like if you imagine like if the Panthers went out today with their starting offensive line, it would be Christensen, Jordan, Elfline, Brown, Moton. I think, right. and you right. think you probably want. Don't I, I, wrong. I do not think Brady Christensen long term is a left tackle. I think he is a guard, okay. but I think he can play left tackle at an okay rate. And crucially, the Panthers don't need to fix everything in one off season. If you find a left tackle in the draft, great. But if not, Brady Christensen can play left tackle, and the world keeps rotating. Right. But I, I I think what you can't afford to do is have like three like three or four substandard players and maybe Deontay Brown can become an above average player and you know Elfline was better at center than guard but you know you can't afford to have like multiple liabilities I think right. if they can get they don't just need a superstar but just like one I think one competent like average or above NFL starting interior offensive linemen like a guard would really help because if you have you know if you have Moten at right tackle and a guard then if you sign an interior offensive, if you draft an interior offensive linesman, like, you know, you know, then that's great. Then you have a competition between like Elfline and Brown at center or whatever. If you draft a tackle, then you can move Christensen to guard. But I think they need, they need like one offensive lineman to then give them the freedom to go into the draft without it having to be offensive line. Because I think if, if you don't add, if you don't add a starting guard in free agency, I think you're then going to have the conversation of, you know, it has to be offensive line. Like, you know, you, you, think, yeah. you know, we have to draft offensive line and probably multiple offensive linemen. Right. Um, I, I think they probably also need a defensive end. Like a big end? No, a, sm- a small end, an edge rusher guy. Because I think you've okay. got Fox and Gross Matos can both play that sort of big end role. But okay. I think it, you've, so you've got Haynes and Reddick as free agents. 
Personally, I think you should just re-sign Redick, but I don't think you can afford to let both guys leave and not replace them. Okay. Because I think that just leaves you so thin at the position that you're then again in the we have to draft situation. Yeah. I think they could, again, I think they could probably do with a defensive back. And I think that's the idea of like, you know, I don't think it necessarily has to be a safety or a corner, but I think they at the moment, I think they're probably one defensive back short. And I think they would do better to just find a veteran who can fit a role. Um, right. And either you know, potentially, you know, Kenny Robinson or Hartsfield have both shown some ability at safety. But if you do that, then you're suddenly a bit lighter court. Like I think they need a defensive back. I think they need a linebacker. Um, I think we definitely need a linebacker, uh, a, a, a Mike linebacker. I, I do I, think I, I would say, I mean, we'll get to it later, but this is a really deep linebacker draft. Like a real, right. like it's very deep linebacker draft. Yeah. But I, I do think you could do well to find someone who... I, I think the thing is Louvre does give you some flexibility. Yes. But I think you could almost do with just another veteran who isn't necessarily a guaranteed starter, but, but at least offers you some kind of competence at linebacker. I mean, I think ultimately they need depth. Like, this is the thing is they need lots of people. And, right. and, and they need... You know, they probably need another quarterback. Um, maybe I, I uh, maybe, maybe not, but they probably definitely need another running back. It can't just be McCaffrey and Chuba going into the draft. Well, would you go? I mean, would you get a running back in free agency? You might as well, not to be a priority one, but you can get running backs. You know, you, you could get some, you know, like Mike Davis side in Atlanta, kind of, or you, know, you can sign running backs to near the vet minimum. Yeah, um, it doesn't have to be a star, but just someone to you're, you basically what again, it says every year, but. You don't want to have to draft any position, right? I, right. I, I think you know. I don't. I think a year ago, if they'd signed Trubisky in free agency rather than drafting Darnold, I think that would have made tons of sense. <laughs> it would I, have. I, I, I think it would be quite hard to do another move like that. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, is that you know, right now with what we know today, Donald still has eighteen point nine million dollars guaranteed. You know to him no one's trading for that yeah nobody's really trading for that and you know that doesn't leave a lot of room for you to go out and find a veteran who's going to cost in that same neighborhood um especially with the uncertainty about what they want to do you know for Deshaun Watson or you know how they're going to approach the draft I think it'd be nice for them like I think if they sign someone like that I've heard this Teddy Bridgewater guy was quite good. <laughs> but I, I mean, it's one of the things, if, if they hadn't completely burned that bridge, someone like that would make some, like... It would, t- make so much, it would make so much sense. I don't even like mentioning it, you know, especially... Ty- Tyrod would be a... Ty- Tyrod Taylor would be good. Yeah. But, you know, when I look at, like, the available free agent QBs, like, I see a list, you know, I saw a list, like, two weeks ago, and I think, I want to say, like, Jameis Winston was, like, the number one uh, free agent QB, and I think, like, Teddy was right behind him or something. And... And it's funny because I was like, that's crazy. You know, like, here we are, you know, third year into the rule situation. And that's, you know, those kind of names are being floated around, you know, like around the league. But Carolina can't even, like, go and get somebody like that because they had him and then they let him go. And you know, he really would be an upgrade right now, you know, but you can't consider it because of burnt bridges, you know, <laughs> no, no pun intended, you know, but. But yeah, that's that's the part that's that's difficult. But it, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, but a part of me, a part of me, you know, really wants to see that because I was like, you know, 
But the reality is, I want to see it because it, it to me it would solidify that that we've addressed the position, you know, with a with at least an interim solution while looking towards drafting our guy maybe this year or I, next year. I, I I do think one thing I would say, like while Donald clearly I, I I don't think he's the solution. Like I, you know, he, he would have to make such a step this year. I yeah. do think if you have a more um minimalist scheme, you know, more run heavy scheme that asks him to not do as much, that gets a lot of play action. That if you build a better offensive line, if you have skill position players that improve, you know, Jared Goff is really not a very good quarterback. But no. you know, that Rams offense was pretty good. And I'm done wrong. I don't think the Panthers will get to that level. But I think if you, you know, if the Panthers want to, you know, if the Panthers traded down draft offensive line and like took a Desmond Ridder or something with an extra second round pick they pick up or if you if you draft a mid-round quarterback to try and develop I think you could use Donald as a bridge I, I I would I would I would I mean I hate to say I would love it but I think it's better doing that than blowing loads of assets trying to make in, incremental improvements in your bridge yeah. quarterback the, the reason I say that is that's the way I felt you know, coming off of 2020, you know, going into Teddy's second year. Like, you know he's under contract. You know you're going to have to pay for him. So why don't you just let him be the bridge, right? That was and the so, case for Cam in 2020, Teddy Bridgewater yeah. in 2021, and the Sam Donald in 2022. So yeah. I have it's, not much faith they're going to follow it. But it, it, I know it, they're not going to follow it, but it makes the most sense. Like, the, the guys on the contract, even if you trade them away, you're still going to have to – you're probably going to have to, you know, cover a lot of his, his money, you know, for this year. So if you're going to pay for him, it's not like I, I hate seeing Sam Darnold on the field so much to where I can't have him as my bridge in 2022, um, especially if you go out and get a guy like Ritter, if you get a guy like Malik, if you take a swing on Malik even. Yeah. Like starting the season with Sam Donald is not the worst thing that can happen for the Carolina Panthers. I'm going to say this really loudly, but not so obnoxiously loud. But for anybody listening, the Carolina Panthers are not – winning the Super Bowl in 2022. Yeah. So whether it's Sam Donald, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, whoever you can imagine coming to the Carolina Panthers, even Deshaun Watson, we're not winning this year. This year should be used as a foundational year for however much, you know, they can, can find assets, you know, to draft players with, to get it, you know, to use free agency spending, you know, to, to acquire offensive linemen with or other positions, they need to look at this year as a as a foundational year to approach next year in terms of thinking they may be a contender. So having Sam Donald, since you're going to be on the hook for his money anyway, on this roster is not the worst thing in the world. I don't have a bunch of hope for winning the Super Bowl in, in 2022. So make prudent moves while you can and don't make any moves that's going to handicap us for the next two or three years just because you're trying to salvage, you know, a, a job this year. Yeah. So I just want to say that, you know. Um, and in the worst case scenario, you, you can always just taste some Hillen, so it's fine. <laughs> you can what? Taste some Hillen. <laughs> yeah, you can taste some Hillen. I mean, there's so many different things you can do. You can make them a situational guy. You don't have to feel obligated to do anything with Sam Donald. But if you're paying for him, use him in some capacity or just have him as an emergency backup situation. But don't go out there and get a seventh round, 
you know, pick for him and still pay his salary and think that we're somehow better for it because yeah. we want the yeah. So you can um, pay someone else's salary as well, right, just yeah. like we did with Teddy. Teddy, yeah. we were paying seventeen, eighteen million dollars, you know, for Teddy's salary last year while he was a starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos, and, yes. and, and potentially, you know, he, he was within a two or three games to get him into the playoffs. Better record than we had. Yeah. You know, so that that stuff is hard to watch as a fan because, you know, Sam Donald situationally could go to the situation, you know, that's better than the Carolina Panthers and not be required to do as much and could end up in a better situation. If asked to, like if, if you put Sam Donald, <laughs> I had this, this this thought, if you put Sam Donald on the Tampa Bay Bucks right now mm-hmm. with Bruce, you know, with Bruce Arians, if he somehow lands down there and then is asked to play games next year. It wouldn't surprise me to see them, you know, somehow, you know, be competitive, you know, more competitive down there than than he was with us. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, like you've repeatedly had quarterbacks failing in bad situations. So rather than make it a good situation, you've just tried to find a quarterback who's better at dealing with the bad situation. Yes. That is like we talked about it earlier, like, in terms of learning from your mistakes. The Panthers made this mistake last year. You, you, right. you try to find a quick and easy solution to a complex and multi-layered problem like try and start at fixing some of those layers and building some foundations towards what you can be a successful team in a year or two rather than trying to find some magic bullet that just fixes everything i know i know all right so you know we, we, we're talking about guys that we can potentially bring in a free agency we we said that it would be nice to get a starting level and not just like starting level like we thought with you know f line at left guard last year and, and cam Irvin, but you know, above average starter, yeah. um, at least that, in, you know, in, in free agency, you know, across, you know, for the offensive line, you know, specifically an interior offensive lineman, ideally a left guard or a right guard, you know, something to address one of those interior positions, even a center, if you can get lucky, uh, you know, yeah, and, I, I, and address, like for me, ideally, before we, before we move, I was hoping that, you know, with this, I think we have somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million right now in cap space. Yes. If we somehow can come away from this free agency period with either a right or left guard, you know, or a right and left guard, or a guard and center combo, and go into the draft only needing a left tackle, like that would be really, really ideal for me. And I'm not saying that, you know, the 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 offensive linemen that we can get in free agency have to be like elite by any means, but if if I can plug and play those guys and trust that they can they can man their positions and not worry about them, like that would be so ideal. And that would be to me way more useful than spending that those same resources on one quarterback that we acquired via trade. And so so we address offensive line. Um, you mentioned that we could use another um, edge edge rusher. Um, just so we can have some depth at that position. Um, a DB, you know, maybe a safety, but it doesn't have to be, but another DB who could potentially start on the back end or at least be a depth piece. Linebacker, um, even though the draft is, is chock full of, of linebackers who can play interior linebacker. Um, but, you know, if we could find a veteran who we could pair with Shaq, that would be ideal. And then we just talked about quarterback. Any other positions that we that we should target in free agency? Uh, I mean, it'd be useful. I, I mean, I, I think bringing Zilstra back would be good. Um, 
I, I think it like, like I think that's the thing is it would be really useful if the Panthers could find a handful of like the Zilstra Luvu types who are not going to be starters but can like play a role and be good on special teams. Like you don't need to find like 10 of them, but if you could find another one or two of those guys, that would be quite useful as well. Because it just it those guys can f- play multiple roles and it frees up roster spots for other people because it then means you no longer have to have just, you know, you can have the number four receiver who is also the special teams guy. And they're like, you know, Louvre is the number three linebacker, the number three edge rusher and the special teams guy. And it just, you know, if you can get a handful of those guys who fill multiple roles, it just frees up roster spots to do other things with. No, I I agree. And, um, you know, Zilstra was a guy I was always high on, you know, even before it became cool to to like Brandon Zilstra. You know, I just... I just always felt like he was just really, really trusty, right? You know, like even when he was, he was able to play at the end of the 2019 season. I think that was the first time I saw him. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, and, and because of his backstory, I felt like, well, maybe he could be like an Adam Thielen or something, you know, uh, you know, it just surprises. I don't think he has Thielen upside, but I also hasn't seen, I haven't seen him play with somebody like Kirk Cousins either. Yeah, like <laughs> so, he, like he, he is a perfectly competent, like mid rotation NFL receiver. Yeah, and and, and, and and that's worth quite a bit. Yeah, and and I think you know, he was a guy you know that I, I think he can he he deserves to be on the field. You know, he's shown that he deserves to be in the the wide receiver rotation. And when he comes onto the field, it's not like I was like you know when we used to put Farrell Cooper on the field. You know, like oh uh, you know he's 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 not going to do anything. Like I, I actually think he's a threat, and. Uh, and he still has room to get better, but you know, but like you said, the value is that he can be one of your, you know, your starting six receivers every Sunday, and he's going to contribute to special teams. Um, and I heard, you know, Federer mention Sha Smith in the same light. You know, they don't see somebody like Terrence Marshall Jr. as somebody that needs to play special teams. But if you're the fourth receiver or lower, then I think they need you to be able to contribute in both yeah. ways. And so. Um, so, you know, for guys like Sha Smith and people are thinking like, well, you know, we don't need Zilstra because we got Sha Smith. Well, until Sha Smith can do what Zilstra does on special teams, then you're going to need Brandon Zilstra too. And it's, it's useful to, even if you can have lots of, like they're useful to have those guys. Like if you have six, seven receivers in your, you're not going to have like six or seven like elite receivers. You need nuts and bolts guys as well. Yeah, I just think that, I think for a guy like, you know, for Sha Smith, I think, the role that he's really trying to take on the roster right now is less of Zilstra's and more of like um, Erickson, you know, yeah. like if you can, if you can, you know, take over his return responsibilities and, and make them feel confident that they can move on from, from that um, security of having him return and punts, then I think, you know, shy can really make a, a, a role for himself on this team doing that, but yeah, but he's not a free agency, so I won't spend a lot of time about shot, even though he is from my hometown. I always try to shout him out every time I can. Um, so hopefully, shot can do that. But, um, so we talked about receivers, any other positions? I know we, we're doing them now. We said running back, you know, we did, I forgot to mention that when I went back through the recap of them. No, um, I, I, I think, I think that's, good. I think that's pretty much, I mean, it's one of those things where you know, there is lots of room for improvement on this team, but the, the kind of the real needs are offensive line quarterback and replace the issue is that they just it isn't that the defense needs massive upgrades it just needs to replace a lot of the players who are leaving whether by re-signing them or, or adding new people so it's it, it, i think it will what you don't want to do is go into the draft with any massive we have to draft this needs right particularly and, when you and, only have one pick in the top 120 
Exactly, man. And, and because of that, you know, like I really think, I mean, just, uh, it's so frustrating, bro. Like I'm sitting here, like hearing you talk about that and thinking about the fact that they are really, really, really considering trading away even more draft assets. You know, a lot of that available cap space that we have now could be dedicated to, to one player, to one position, if they get what they want in this Deshaun Watson trade. And thinking to myself, like, oh, how horrible of a world would it be if we get to the first day of free agency and we don't have any money to spend on these positions that we just named? Man, it's, 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 really, it's, really, it's really frustrating to think about it that way. Okay, I am back and we are full of power again. <laughs> We're running out, man. It's been a crazy day here in Atlanta where where I live. There's been some storms blowing through. So we had some connection issues earlier because the internet kept going on and out with the power and I had to run away from my adapter. And, and we've been going long, you know, because there's a lot of stuff to cover <laughs> for this episode. And, and um, but I didn't want to leave you hanging because we've gone through um, the state of the Panthers. We've talked about... Um, the, the Deshaun Watson situation, we've gone over the free agency situation, but, you know, with each of these scouting the culture episodes, we always like to cover a position group. And, you know, we, you know, just to give you a feel for how we do this, we normally approach the position groups, you know, as we get closer to the draft, you know, with, I won't say the positions of least importance, um, but, that's somewhat the approach, you know, not like 100%, but we try to go with the, the groups that we that we think is farthest away from the need and then work towards the positions that we think we need the most um, as we get closer to the draft. This year is going to be interesting, at least from the information we have today, because we don't have but one pick, the overall number six pick, in the first two days of the draft. And so, you know, we definitely don't believe we're going to pick a running back at number six. <laughs> and if, so, if the Panthers um, draft a running back at six, I think everyone can just leave the fan base and we'll, we'll, right. we'll, we'll work something else out. Right. And so, I mean, so that's why we're starting with the running back group. Um, you know, we can talk about them first. It's not like, you know, we can't draft one of these guys because we definitely can. But, you know, these are the type of guys that's going to be there when we actually able to draft again on day three. <laughs> and so, so like, this is a really important group for us after all, you know, because, you know, they might be the only ones that are left in terms of having a really good player um, at a place where we can actually draft them. And so, um, so even though we start with them last, um, it's not like it's, it's a group of players that we can ignore. And, and, you know, just as this is another note, you know, we have a different offensive coordinator than Ben McAdoo. Um, we've heard Matt Rule, you know, mention that he would like to shift the offensive focus more into being a power run team. And right now, I don't think the Carolina Panthers had a running back who's really a, a power running back. Although um, Chris McCaffrey, you know, as of today is still on the roster. And when he is healthy, he's one of the most dynamic and versatile running backs in the league. And he's had success, you know, in an offensive um, running scheme that was focused on the power run. The North Turner system was a power run system. Um, and that was 
the system that he had in 2018 and 2019. And so, um, and he was... He was quite good mom, those years. Yeah. He was all right those years, I think. Yeah, I think he, was, he, was, he, was, he was pretty good. Yeah. He was pretty good those years, you know, and so it's not like, even though he's not noted as being a power runner, um, the power run scheme is more about the blocking scheme. Yeah. And Kristen played in a similar scheme at Stanford. And so um, I think that's something that he can do really, really well. Um, if he's on the roster, then, you know, then that makes this position group even less important. Well, but I, if- I, I, I think, okay, so I, I think this is the, the other thing is that even if he is on the roster, are they going to continue to use him in the way they've, they've used him? I think is also the other question. Because I, I, well, I think the thing with Christian though is that is is we we know the answer should be that they shouldn't use him yeah. like they use him, right? You know, but I think it's more about do we trust them not to, right? I think Christian McCaffrey is like one of those guys, man, that that he does so many things well that if you're a team and if he's healthy, I think coaches are like, man. I can't believe I'm going to lose this game with this dude on the sideline for 30% of the time, you know, and I know he would never be off the field, you know, for 30% of the time. Um, so I, I, I hope that even if he's still on the roster, that they can figure out a, a way to, to have a player that they can trust on the field and pass pro and even catching the ball out of the backfield um, to where they can give him less snaps um, than they currently do. Or, you know, even in a situation where um, they want to keep him on the field, a lot of talk in the offseason has been around playing Christian at the at the slot. Yeah. Listen, I know, man, you gave me some really good insight last year on, and we won't go this, we won't, we won't go into it because it'll be another hour talking about Christian McCaffrey. But I tried to explain to some friends something that you that you provided on Scouting the Culture last year about deploying Christian McCaffrey's talents. You mentioned that in any scheme, but particularly in the scheme that we were in, how we pretty much make it easy for defenses by lining up Christian in the backfield and letting the whole defense basically, you know, see him before the play starts and and can track him the whole way. Versus if you line him up on the outside at the receiver position or something like that, it really confuses the defense even more, puts them in more conflict and, you know, if if in this new look offense, if they can figure out a way to get Christian, you know, in different positions uh, pre-snap, I think that'll be a way to to have Christian and still have another running back, you know, to pair with Chuba. And you can have more of a, you know, I mean, I know we have Abdullah. We had Abdullah this year. But. I think is a way to improve that that running back room, even with Christian still in tow, yeah. and still be able to use Christian's talents in different ways. I, I think that's the thing. I, I, Christian McCaffrey. I, I should. I think people forget because of the injuries just how good he is. Because I think when he has, like, even this year, like when he was playing, he is really, really good. Like it. it I think we take for granted just how outstandingly good he is at times. Like if you go and watch that Saints game from Week Two. It was just like, you know, what Taylor Moten's quote, we're not the Carolina Christian McCaffrey's. Well, they looked an awful lot like the Carolina Christian McCaffrey's <laughs> sometimes. Like he, he is, he is just, he consistently adds 
it's not that everything is outstanding that you know every play is a touchdown but you watch him and I cannot he's explain different. I mean, one thing, I mean, anybody who watches him, even me, I've been skeptical, you know, at times, but I'm not crazy, right? You know, like, when you watch Christian McCaffrey and he's healthy, he moves different, you know, he can be electric, you know, especially in space. I think the problem is with Christian is that over the last two seasons, when he's been healthy, we haven't been able to see him in space enough. No, no and I think, I, think that, I think that's sort of the point is that like, as, as good, like don't wrong, he is definitely a really good ball carrier as well. And he should still be used as a ball carrier. But the thing that he does that is so valuable is his ability to create underneath separation as a route runner against man coverage. Like right. you, you, there is pretty much no linebacker in the NFL or safety who can cover him one-on-one, right. which means that he creates conflicts in the defense and he creates real headaches for defensive coordinators. And so the thing that you absolutely have to make sure you're doing if you have McCaffrey is making sure that he is running routes against man coverage as much as possible. Like you either want teams to be so afraid of playing man, they don't play man or where you are always forcing them to double cover Christian and create space for someone else. Like like he, he every time you're throwing the ball, it would be nice to have McCaffrey out there. Obviously you can't do it a hundred percent of the time, but I, I, I think the thing you have to make sure you maintain about his game is his receiving ability. Yeah. I think the best way to do that without doing what they did against the Saint, which is just giving him the ball 40 times a game or whatever. Like you, you, you can't keep running him into the ground. Right. But the way to do that is to, you know, Christian McCaffrey will, if, if you draft a mid-round running back or even like Chuba Hubbard, Christian McCaffrey will get more yards from the same cameras than they will do. But the yeah. difference is comparatively minimal. The thing that he can do that no one else in the roster and almost no one else in the NFL can do is what he can do as a receiver. And so right. if, if you can move, you can play him in lots of two-back sets where he is he is a running back, but he is not always playing running back. You can move him to right. the slot. He can play on jet sweeps. You could effectively, you know, people talk about using um, DJ Moore like the 49ers use Debo Samuel. You right. was Christian, Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey like yeah. Debo Samuel. Like, and, like, and, and, that's, and that's why I try to tell people, and I, I hate when they use that DJ Moore to Debo Samuel uh, comparison. I think they do it because they see Debo as a wide receiver. And, you know, and it's like, well, you know, we got a wide receiver who has, you know, the ability to break tackles and, you know, get, you know, get a lot of yak or whatever. You know, but I think what they don't realize is that Debo Samuel mentality wise is a running back, right? Yeah. And I, I think I think I think you know he even called himself. I think you know it's, it's probably a joke, but they they gave him the turn at you know wide back, you know right, you know running you know the for what he does in 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 San Francisco. And when I say you know mentality wise, like I think like Chris McCaffrey runs tough, right? Yeah. You know he runs tough as a running back. You know he might not be noted as a between the tackles type of guy, but I will give him credit. For he runs tough, you know, he runs through contact, you know, especially when he gets in the second level. Um, but that's a mentality, right? It's mentality that I can run through arm tackles. I can, and I can do this, you know, 20 times a game if I need to. Yeah. Debo Samuel is a wide receiver. And I'm not saying that he's a running back at all. I'm just saying that his mentality is that of, I'm a running back. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a ball player. I'm a football player, and I like to have the ball in my hands, and I like to score touchdowns every time I touch it. Right? Chris McCaffrey's like that, right? And he has the the receiving ability. Um, he has the natural running back skills. 
DJ Moore, while you know you might be able to play him like that, I don't think that same mentality is there to do that more than just two or three times a game. I mean, do, 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 I, mean I think the comparison that I would make for the, like what DJ Moore, the best case, the best usage of DJ Moore is like the Jamar um, Jamar Chase, how he was used yeah. for the Bengals. It's the yeah. guy. He is not going to be the guy you throw the ball to 15 times a game, but he right. can make five or six really special plays every game. Right. And, and, and I think that's DJ Moore's best usage. I think so. Right. Going, back, going back to running backs a little bit, I think the I think I think the Panthers use Curtis Samuel in a way you could use Christian McCaffrey. Like how Curtis Samuel was used in 2021. So 2020, so. even where, where, where he is, yeah. you know, he gets four or five carries a game and he gets like seven or eight targets a game, maybe 10 Perfect. targets. If, if you can use McCaffrey as like the supercharged version of that, then that would work great. But what if you're going to do that, what you kind of need then is someone who can be that bell cow ball carrier. Like Mike allow, Davis was. Yeah. And, and that allows you to do, you can then do triple option stuff. You can do all kinds of things. You can shift, but, you know, particularly if that guy can also run routes, not to McCaffrey level, but can be a legitimate, like throwing the ball option. You can move. Yeah. It gives you so much flexibility. So while it's not like the priority for the off season, I, if the Panthers can get a, another like multi-usage back because I think the issue with Ch- Chuba Hubbard is that you you cannot throw him the ball on a consistent basis. <laughs> At all. Um, man, man, let me talk about that for a second though. I won't stay on it long. I was so high, not I didn't know what Chuba would be right, you know, because I hadn't seen him play, you know, of um, his last year of college, you know, whatever he was eligible. I, you know, twenty twenty was the COVID year for them, um, you know, so he got drafted in twenty twenty one, and but I, I remember, you know, when Chuba was good in college and seeing some film of him doing, you know, like breaking long runs and stuff. So I was excited for him. But I didn't know how bad his hands were until was, we started. He was not throwing the ball a lot in college and he didn't do a great job when he was. And, but, and I can tell. Uh, the, the, this is one of the big issues with like these guys. And it's the same thing with Tommy Tremble, who, again, did have some drops. But like the issue is, is if you have guys who are just not throwing the ball very often. It's right. really hard to, you know, if they do have a couple of drops, if you have 12 targets and two drops, that can either be like two bits of bad luck or a really bad problem. And the right. issue is if you then go to 40 targets, do the drops increase linearly or not? Like, and I think Tommy Tremble showed that actually his hands are, you know, they might not be the greatest hands ever, but like he can catch the ball fairly reliably. He just will have the odd drop here and then. It's just because he got thrown the ball like 12 times in college. So right. those two I, drops look really bad. Whereas Chuba uh, is, yeah. Yeah, Chuba yeah, yeah, missed so many. He, I mean, and, and I do think he made progress before the year was over. Um, so I did see some improvement in his hands, but it wasn't like he fits the problem. So no, maybe I, with a full year of, I th- of I, training and, you know, training to catch the ball more, maybe he comes in a lot better. Uh, I, but, I, I don't think it's well, I don't think players suddenly learn to catch. Like, you know, yeah. I think. I think it's going to be more like a Jonathan Stewart case where like you can occasionally throw him the ball and like you can run screens and stuff, but right. he's not going to be a legitimate part of your passing game. And I think it was just magnified because our scheme was so defend- so dependent on, on the running back being checked down to, especially for a guy like Sam, who basically was coached that way all off season to just, yeah. you know, mechanically do that. Yeah, look and, for your first read and check down, and and, and, the, and, the, and the offensive line was making it so that check downs were becoming. You have to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, just, yeah. you do not have time to sit there and wait for the twenty yard pass. You've just got to get the ball out and stuff. And, and, and so I think Chuba, I think they got, I think Chuba just got 
exploited a lot. You know, the lack of hands got exploited a lot because they needed him to catch the ball a lot and he just couldn't do it. But with that said, though, you know, and, you know, just what we know now is Chris McCaffrey is the starting running back for the Carolina Panthers. He's going to come in and he's going to be healthy week one. And we need a running back to basically be part of that room. Let's take a look at some of the the prospects in the 2022 draft. Yeah. You know, that that makes sense for the Carolina Panthers. So go ahead and run through your list of guys. And if I think of anybody that that I think could fit, I'll I introduce them to. Okay. So I think I'll probably mention the before we talk about guys who are specifically relevant for the Panthers, I'll talk about a little bit about some of like the big name guys in the class and talk about sort of my views on those very quickly. So okay. I think in terms of like the very top running backs for me, the top two guys are Kyron Williams from Notre Dame and Bryce Hall from Iowa State. Um, go Irish. Go Irish. <laughs> uh, for me, Williams is probably the, I mean, don't me wrong, he, his combine numbers are really bad. Like he had a really bad combine. And I, I don't know. I, was so I, I mean, I don't know whether there was an injury or anything there because, I mean, when you watch him on tape, you don't – like, he, he doesn't come across as an amazing athlete on tape, but I don't think you watch him on tape and think he's a limited athlete. And I – I, no. I, 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 it's not one of those things where you sort of ignore the combine numbers, but I, I don't – they don't – you know, we said this before, like, you look at the combine numbers and you go and check it on tape, and sometimes it makes you think about things differently. And yeah. having gone back and watched Karen Williams, you do – it is confirmed that he is not – some you know he's not going to be like a nine out of 10 90th percentile athlete but i don't right. think he's a 20th percentile athlete either and right. he does a lot of things well like he not doesn't do anything outstandingly well but he's got good vision he's you know he breaks tackles he can make guys miss he's also probably one of the better receivers and blockers in like he's he is one of like the most pro ready guys he is uh, he, picked, he picked up a lot of blitzes you know and you know was really good in pass pro and he's got some, and he's, he's he's got some in, like genuinely good route running bits to his to his passing game. He's not just like a chuck it down on swing passes and screens kind of stuff. Like he can he can legitimately go out in the slot and he can run routes, not McCaffrey level, but like you know he he was a an above average route runner for an NFL running back. Right. So I, I think he is kind of a not necessarily any one elite traits, but is just really quite good at everything. Yeah. Bryce Hall is an interesting one. Um, he definitely needs more work in the passing game. Like he can catch the ball perfectly well, but like his blocking is fairly rudimentary and he needs to run a more pro style, like running that route tree. Right. But when you watch him as a runner, like he, I can't think of a guy who was quite so two speed. Like he clearly has this second gear and like, and he like idles behind this line. It's often, he almost is like walking. It's, it's really strange, but it's, it's that very, very slow, pensive waiting for the gap and then he just hits this gear and he can just go and he's got contact balance and agility and speed and power and i think in the nfl coaches will want him to just hit that second gear earlier because you're going to get more tackles for loss there is less time you just need to if there's a gap just hit it just just you know unless you have one of these offensive lines and schemes that are, are set up for you to be patient like that early, like, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers were when they had Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think those are pretty rare. And I think the other thing is that the running game, you know, people talk about like the role of the running game and the passing game and stuff, but there is value to just getting consistent yardage in the running game. Like you know, if, if there's five yards, take five yards, just, you know, just, right. d- d- you know, don't, don't pass up 20 yards, you know, don't pass up five yards trying to look for 20 yards. And 
you know, the gaps will be smaller and the time windows are less. And I think Bryce Hall has a potential to be really good, but his his like how good he becomes, I think, will depend on how how consistently he can make use of that second gear. Right. Um, I think Bryce Hall definitely won't be available for the Panthers. I think the big question is with Kyron Williams is just how far will that testing drop him? Because yeah. I think a lot. Yeah. I think a lot. Yeah. Because think, he's yeah. just 5'9. Yeah. And you, you know, with you being, you know, even though he's 200 pounds, he's just 5'9. He's going to be looked at as, as small. And nobody likes small and slow, you know. Yeah. And and we know he, I know he's not slow. I saw him play for years. I know today. Yeah. Um, he can break away. I haven't seen anybody run him down, you know, but. No, no, but, he, that, but that but that clock time is gonna it's gonna throw him off on the you know for the draft and it wouldn't surprise me if he slipped to like the sixth. Yeah, I I, I think it'll definitely drop him to day three. Yeah, I think the question is, and I think that's one of those things where like if he's there in the sixth, he makes absolute perfect sense for the Panthers. Like he you know he would be a really you know he's never gonna be the superstar, but he can just be a really dependable running back too. Yeah, um, I mean. I can see him as being like a guy like, I mean, who was the, the, the guy that picked up a couple of years ago? Rodney Smith? Was it Rodney Smith? No, he's better than Rodney Smith, I think. I mean, he's better than Rodney Smith, but, but you but know, when Rodney Smith was healthy. Yeah, he, 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 was, can just, he can just do everything. I mean, yeah, I think Kyron Williams is a, is a is a better player, but I think I can I can see yeah. what you mean. I, I, yeah. I think it's one of those things where if the Panthers had more draft picks, you could justify taking, like, if you took them in the fourth round, I think you could justify that. The issue the Panthers have is that they're just there are so many needs that if their second pick is their fourth round pick, I don't think you can spend your second pick in the draft on a running back as the Panthers. If they trade down and they have loads more picks, I think anywhere on day three onwards, I think he his value for the Panthers. But right. uh, yeah, it, it'll depend what they do in the draft. Well, I mean, so you know, you have him as a top prospect, which yeah. you know, I, I like Kyrie Williams, you know, and and honestly, my offense depending on him at the college level for, for at least the last two seasons. Um, you know, Brees Hall, I don't, I haven't seen him play as much. So I, I still need to go back and, you know, look at some film on him. I, I mean, I've seen what everybody else is seeing, right? The breakaway speed on the highlight yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, and, and he, he, yeah, he, he, he really, he really, stuff. yeah, he got some stuff in, but the, it's the top end speed that that's the sexy part of him. Right. Yeah. And so how that translates to the league, I think it just depends on the offense. And like you said, at the NFL level, because everybody's so fast. He's probably going to have to find out or get accustomed to hitting that gear a lot yeah, sooner yeah. than he's used to. Um, I, but I I'm glad, like, a, but I, I like your I like your top two, and um, the only the only guy that that I would like to to consider for the to be in the top, and it, and it's hard for me to say, but um, Brian Robinson from Alabama. Like it was something about him late in the season where I was like, okay, here's another one of those guys. I, I think for me, he so the other guy who I don't have my top two who is very highly rated is Kenneth Walker, um, the Michigan State running back. And for me, I think Brian Robinson and Kenneth Walker, although very different stylistically, I think are are are, are, are not that dissimilar in prospects in my mind. So I think both of them were really good college running backs. Right. Who I think, and I think that this is something that is general up this class. Like even Williams and Hall, I don't think this is a class with any elite running back prospects. I, I like, I, I don't think there is a definite feature back type guy in the way there has been in some previous classes. I think this is a class that's just got a lot of like competent starters to like good rotation pieces. Like you, oh, know, 
I think there's just a lot of those guys. And I, th- you know, I think Brian Robinson, I think is a top 10 running back for me. I'll just check. I've got my board somewhere. Yeah. He's, he's my number nine running back. Um, okay. But, but the gap between really number one and like number 13, 14 is really not that it's big. Like it, yeah, there's definitely not like a, there aren't many guys who you think this guy is, 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 is fantastic. And I think the thing with Brian Robinson and Kenneth Walker is it's the bit where I don't think they are so outstanding as runners. I think they will be perfectly competent NFL runners, but I'm not sure they do that much in the passing game. And yeah. I don't know how valuable marginal gains are as ball carriers. Like, I think they definitely can be, like, I think both could start as running backs in the NFL and be perfectly competent. I'm just, in a position where a lot of what players do is quite replaceable, I'm not yeah. sure that either of them have any one skill that you think that adds really clear value that I can't get anywhere else. Like now, I, I, the, one, the one guy who showed that way, and because I, I live so close to Athens, I saw him a lot, was um, Cook, James Cook. Yeah. So what did you think about him in the passing game? I know that's you know, that's kind of been his calling card. Where does he rank on your list of running backs? So Cook for me is eight. Um, so again, so so I've got Williams and Hall at two, and like we talk about these guys, you know, um, Walker is seven, Cook is eight, Robinson is nine. Um, but really, for me, there is almost no gap between really from like three down to like ten, eleven. That there there is basically it's 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 more a matter of what you want from a player rather than how good that player is. And I think this okay. is the thing, like like it's not totally clear what the Panthers want, but if you if if you want someone who is pretty good at everything but not amazing at anything there are quite a lot of those guys and then you have guys like cook who are have limitations like i don't think cook is ever going to be a feature back but can do a subset of stuff really quite well um and so i think how you value those two guys really depends on what you want as a team so i think that there are the the, you know like uh, isaiah spiller is another guy who i think again doesn't isn't bad but i'm not sure you know he He's in the Kenneth Walker conversation of like perfectly competent. You, know, if you took him in the fourth round, I, don't, I think that's a perfectly decent pick. But I don't see what would have you banging on the table to take him in the second round. Right. Um, like I, 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 I don't think I would take any running back in this draft in the second round. Like I think the third is about as high as I take anybody. But there's maybe twenty guys I would take in between rounds three and five. So like yeah. there, there, there's there's a lot of like late day two, particularly early day three type running backs. Um, and it really, who you prefer is as much about style and exactly how you want them to fit in your running back room as anything else. Yeah, and I think in a, in a year, and not even just in a year where we're trying to go to like a more of a, of a run-based scheme, a power run scheme, I just think it's good practice, you know, to, to just draft a running back, you know, you know at least, every year or two, you know, like later in the later in the draft. Yeah. Just because you never know when you're gonna find that guy. You know, all these guys are so close in terms of like their measurables and or whatever. But you know, eventually you know, you're gonna hit on one of these guys and, and they can end up being a guy that's can carry carry the load for you for, you know, four or five years. You know, and and, and, and crucially you can get really cheap production out of it. Like you know, right. a, a a lot of what running backs do is fairly reproducible like you know ultimately right. if you've got a really good offensive line as long as you've got a competent ball carrier you're going to get decent production if you've got a terrible yeah. offensive line you're probably not going to get very much anyway right and and if you're and given that if you just want someone who can carry the ball you know i want you to carry the ball 250 times a year 
and I want you to get a thousand yards. You know, like Alfred Morris is the perfect example of a guy who can just who who doesn't have any outstanding trait, but is just competently good. And like right. he can turn up if you keep giving him the ball, he gets at least what is blocked for him, maybe a little bit more. And, and, and if you can pay, it's much better to pay a guy seven hundred fifty thousand a million dollars a year to do that as a sixth round pick. Than to right. go out and spend two million dollars, three million dollars in free agency trying to chase some veteran who's going to get you four point two rather than four point one yards per carry. <laughs> You're right, and I mean it's just so crazy. And I think, and it is what it is, man. You know, like I, I, I'm like you. I see the running back position that you know is is being a position where you can replace the production so easily. If Christian McCaffrey didn't have like the ability he have with the route running in the hands, you know, then you know. I would be even more upset, you know, but I know that he's different in that way. Yeah. Um, but I do want, you know, guys, as we move forward and, and what we're looking for for this team, I want like more of these replaceable type guys, you know, and, yeah. you know, just to have on the roster. So there's not such a big drop off. But I want those replaceable guys to have the ability to catch the ball, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, and that's what Chuba, you know, when we mentioned him before, like that's what he kind of struggled with. So, you know, but. You know, we talked about um, Kyron Williams, talked about Brees Hall. We talked about Walker, Spiller, mentioned um, Williams from Alabama. Um, There's so many, there's so many guys, you know, that, you know, that we can speak about in terms of the running backs. But when you look at the Carolina Panthers team from what you know now, who are the guys who you think fit the Panthers most that most people won't know by name? Yeah, so I think there's three guys who I think, you know, definite day three guys, to be clear, who I think could make some sense for the Panthers in different ways. I, I think the least likely, and I apologize for my pronunciation, is Vave Malapea, um, okay. who's the USC running back. Um, okay. I, I, again, does lots of things perfectly well, doesn't have any one standout trait, but is fairly competent route runner, catches the ball quite well, good pass protector, solid, you know, gets what's blocked for him and a little bit more type running back. I think the knock on him is I think he's 24. He, he's definitely an older guy. So he would be, yeah, he, he would definitely be somebody who is going to go late in the draft and you're drafting to be kind of a, you know, a depth piece. You know, you, you're not drafting him to be the future of your, your, your team. Um, Might even be an undrafted free agent. Yeah. And I think some of these guys will be. Um, and what I think would be, you know, a decent, if the worst case scenario, I think he could compete to be the number two guy with, with Tuba. Um, I think, Unless Kyron Williams falls, I think that is the best case scenario. I think probably the next best case scenario is Sincere McCormick. From he's actually he's actually twenty five. Who? Malapaya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, he's definitely on older side. He just turned twenty five, and you know, at the end of January, but he's twenty five now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that you know, it's going to be hard to invest draft assets in a twenty five year old running back. But he is perfectly, really, quite good. McCormick, I think, is, I think for me, he's running back three. Um, and I don't think, again, I don't think he has any like one standout amazing trait, but I think he's just a really solid running back. He does pretty much everything well. Um, he, he He's just really well-rounded. Um, when you say three, you mean three overall? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, UTSA running back. Um, yeah. And just, just, you know, really well-rounded game. It's hard to find significant flaws in what he does again not didn't have great athletic testing and doesn't look like an amazing athlete on tape but 
does enough with what he has that I think you know would could be a a capable starting running back for an NFL team, and that's kind of that that tier is where I have a lot of guys. I think what sets him apart from guys like Kenneth Walker, the reason why I have him slightly higher than Walker, though it is like very, very slightly, is I think he is um, a, a better pass protector and, and I think he's a slightly better route runner as well. So I think he's a more immediate contributor to a passing game. Um, but I, I think if you're taking sort of fourth, fifth round pick, probably, probably more like fifth round pick, um, I think McCormick would be a, a good selection for the Panthers. Um, a very different option would be Tyler Beatty um, from Missouri, who is more more of like a genuine like McCaffrey replacement style running back. Right. I, I'm not sure he is. Whereas McCormick, I think, would be perfectly capable of running between the tackles on a consistent yeah. basis. I think Beatty is more of the in space guy. Yeah. Um, he's. I think he does do like he is a better interior runner than his size would suggest. Right. But he is still ultimately a smaller running back whose asset will be his ability to catch the ball in space and make people miss and, and add to the passing game. So I think if if you if the Panthers have no intention of using McCaffrey in anything other than the feature back role and just want a McCaffrey light replacement, I think McCormick makes sense as that. Sorry, no, Beatty makes sense as that. I think McCormick and worried for Kyron Williams are probably the best case options as as the primary ball carrying option to allow McCaffrey to move to more of this hybrid role. And, and that's what I would like, you know, that's yeah. the best case scenario for me is to find guys who can be more primary, primary ball carriers and let McCaffrey be like the Swiss army knife that I think he's really born to be yeah. <laughs> um, as an NFL player. And, and what I want fans, you know, and I know this is about, the prospects know that more than it is about McCaffrey, but if McCaffrey is on this roster, you know, the scenario where you said that he can be used as a, as a charged up Curtis Samuel, you know, for as comfortable as we were with how we use Curtis Samuel, if we can condition ourselves to getting that same type of uses with Christian McCaffrey, you know, who's probably a better football player overall. Oh God. Yeah. You know? And so if, if you, if we can deal with seeing him, be featured in the offense, but with him getting the ball less, I think that's best for everybody. You know, yeah. but most importantly for him and his longevity in this game, and we can still get the same impact on the game um, by him just being used more efficiently. And 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 man, I hope you know Ben McAdoo comes in, you know, with a fresh idea of how to do that. Um, if Christian McCaffrey is going to be on the team and and continue to be like the best player on the offense because if he's on the team it's it's clear that he's the number one weapon oh. on offense. So but but just because he's number one weapon doesn't mean that we need to give him the ball 25, 30 times a game. You know and yeah and I, I think it is important as well that like touches aren't all the same. Like right. a, a a four yard a gap carry is not it is neither equivalent value nor equal punishment for your body as catching a option route for 10 yards and running out of bounds on the sidelines. Right. Like, you know, one of those, not only is one of those less valuable than the other, the one that is less valuable is the one that has the bigger impact on his body. And don't get me wrong, right. I, I, I do think this is a year where 
if the Panthers do use McCaffrey intelligently and he gets injured again, I think that definitely is the like alarm starts flashing. Like, yeah. not actually that's it, but like, I I think you can just get bad luck with injuries. I think the the more consistently they happen, the less it becomes, it becomes a trend. Right, um, right now they still believe that is freaky. You know, like you know yeah, because. I, I, also, I heard Scott Fritter yeah. say that, like, you know, you know, this stuff is still kind of freak injury type stuff, or whatever he said. Yeah, and it's definitely not helped by running him into the ground. It's definitely going to increase the risk <laughs> of, like, just unusual knocks. Right, um, right. And so, I mean, that, so, you know, we we definitely in a, in a unique spot, you know, with the, the running back position because, you know, Kristen McCaffrey's name has been floated out there in, you know, in terms of teams. Um, checking interest. You know, we haven't heard the Panthers say that they're interested in trading him, you know, which is very different. And I don't think they would ever say that, you know, even if they are, you know, but the fact that his name is being circulated as being a trade candidate before free agency um, and the draft suggests that, you know, that something could be there. So I just bring it up because, you know, it's a possibility that he won't be on the roster. Um, but until he's not on the roster, he is the best skill player and, the, and, and probably be the most um, important skill player on the roster. I just think that for the Carolina Panthers, regardless of what happens at quarterback, I think for the maturity of this team, of any quarterback playing, you know, in this offense, you know, that we just get to a place to where we use him differently. And he's yeah. not, you know, he can, you can be the best player, the best skill player on the offense without being you know the 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 centerpiece in the way that they made him the centerpiece um it's better ways to use your best skill player like i don't think debo samuel was the centerpiece of the of the of the 49ers offense they really only have four players that they get the ball to it's it's him Kittle, um elijah mitchell and and um brandon Ayuk. but is when he touched the ball it was almost always explosive because of how they designed to get the ball to him. And, 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 and crucially, you can also, players can have value without touching the ball. Right. And I think the issue is when McCaffrey is lined up in the backfield, he doesn't necessarily possess that much gravity. Like particularly, you know, on, on play action, he has a certain gravity, but if, right. if, he, if, if he is running routes, he forces defenses to adjust to him. Right. And that will, even if he is not the one catching the ball, he can add value right. by, by by what he can do, creating space for other players. Right. And I, I I think that is really valuable. And if you can, it's about maximizing his value rather than maximizing necessarily his like box score. His and usage. I, yeah, right. and and I, and I think that's something they've you know, although they've leaned on him very heavily, they've leaned on him very heavily in quite an unimaginative way. Like right. they, 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 they have tried to maximize his usage rather than maximizing his value, in my opinion. And you know, it's kind of like, you know, for people who watch basketball, and I don't know how much you're in the basketball. Yeah, but if, you, if you follow the sport and you look at the rise of the Golden State Warriors, like Steph Curry is a, one of the greatest shooting talents, well, probably the greatest shooter we've ever seen, right? But, you know, he's limited in other ways as a, as a basketball player. But offensively, you know, everybody knows Steph Curry can shoot from anywhere in the gym. But that's not his value. Like, that's not the whole of his value. The value is that because everybody knows how great of a shooter he is, 
they actually run their office of sets to where the focal point is always on Steph because of the gravity yeah. of his presence. And the all the open shots that you see the Golden State Warriors get, like the other players like Klay Thompson and even lesser shooters, they're open because the defense is so fixated on where Steph is. Yeah. Right. So when we look at the Carolina Panthers, the reason why I've always advocated for 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 Christian McCaffrey to be, you know, to be lined up, you know, like out there at receiver or whatever is because there's not a defense in the in the league that's going to allow for Chris McCaffrey to, to flex out to the wide receiver position and not have at least two sets of eyes on him. Yeah. And, you know, and if their eyes are watching Chris McCaffrey, they're not watching somebody else this closely, you know, and, and Carolina Panthers have never in a dedicated way taken advantage of what they could do off of Chris McCaffrey is rather what they could do through him. Yeah. And, um, and so maybe McAdoo changes that. I don't know, but look, Man, we covered so much today, and it went way longer, but I have a problem with talking to Vincent too long, um, but that's why we enjoy doing the show. That's why I enjoy doing the show. I hope he enjoys, you know, having these yeah, conversations yeah. with me, but but we like doing it for you all, too, and so um, uh, this has been a really good uh, episode one, and you know, we've talked about the state of the Panthers, and we talked about the mess that it is, but we also talked about, you know, the alternatives to fixing it. And, you know, one of the big things that came up in that discussion was, you know, the, the pending Deshaun Watson pursuit. So we'll see what happens with it, you know, so stay tuned. What happens with it could change everything that we discussed today. You know, but I think we talked about the different scenarios, um, you know, with or without Deshaun Watson being the quarterback. And, um, and you know, again, for anybody listening, um, again, you know, this is a tough situation. You know, you're right to feel however you feel about it. You know, just, um, you know, just just stay tuned you know, for what's going to happen. And like we always do, we'll adjust to the news when we hear it. Um, but we, we, we went from there into talking about the, um, the free agency situation in Carolina. We talked about the players who are currently on the team who are due to be free agents and, you know, who we think, you know, returns and who we think we want to return. Uh, versus who probably goes and, and what happens with them. We talked about um, the positions more so than players um, that the Panthers may target. It's too hard. You know, you have, you know, over 100 free agents out there, um, and a lot of them we could use on this team. So it's too hard to narrow down the players that we want. But, you know, definitely talked about, you know, needing some reinforcement on the offensive line, some quality players this time. Don't go out on the the, the – first day of free agency and go get Cam Irving and, and F-Line again, you know, just get somebody that you know you can play and, and trust at those positions, but, you know, also other positions like DB, linebacker, um, edge. Um, you know, we went on, you know, to get into, you know, the the running back position group, um, you know, and, and this is the first position group that we're going to discuss this year, but we're going to talk about the other ones as we go. Um, again, what happens in the next few days and, you know, in the next coming weeks is going to inform, you know, what the draft looks like. But we intend to go through all the positions, um, you, know, you know, that we can draft. Probably won't discuss long snapper. We, that caught us by surprise last year. Uh, <laughs> but but we're going to uh, go through the position groups for you the best we can. And then, you know, going forward, 
we're going to dedicate more time to the position groups uh, than we did today because the yeah. unique time and where we are is that free agency is upon us and you know, we want to dedicate some time to the state of the Panthers and that. So, um, you know, before we wrap up, Vincent, is there anything that you want to, to, to share? No, I think that's, that's everything. I, yeah. I, I think see what happens to free agency and we'll, we'll go from there. Well, cool, man. Um, as always, um, thank you for, for taking time to listen. Um, if you enjoyed what we had to say today, please, um, subscribe, like, you know, we on, um, on uh, Apple Podcasts, we are on Spotify, you know, so find us, subscribe to it. Uh, we're going to bring you more content, you know, for this for this draft season. Um, you can find me at Panthers Culture. On Twitter, you can find Vincent at VRich444. V Richardson 444. Yeah, V Richardson 444. On Twitter, if you have any um, questions, suggestions, uh, please share them with us. We try to be responsive on Twitter as we can be. Um, until next time, folks, um, have a good one and good luck in the first week of free agency. Good night.